Hey, good morning, everyone, or I think it's afternoon by now. Uh, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, today I am not in the wood shop at DTM Enterprises. Uh, today I'm on location in uh, Lexington, Kentucky at uh, Soul Rebel Lex, Soul Rebel Lex yoga yep. studio of yep. a dear friend of mine and uh and we're uh talking about the same thing we talk about here every week it's uh talking about my definition of recovery which is to find which that which was lost or stolen uh and when and when i talk about that i mean what we lose pieces of ourselves uh through various ways you know even a change in relationship can leave a piece of your identity behind and you kind of feel lost for a little bit so it could be as something as it can be something huge or little and you know you can suffer from this thing from a by the death of a thousand cuts just as easy as you can by one huge traumatic event uh, i try not to put any of that on a scale because the scale doesn't matter uh, well, what matters is uh people's healing that's what matters and uh, so whatever your, whatever you, whatever ails you, uh, my purpose in life today is to, uh, around me, create a space that, that promotes healing. So uh, that's what we do in yoga. And I didn't know that when I first came to yoga. I, I thought didn't we either. was just making, holding our bodies <laughs> in funny positions. <laughs> yep. Uh, but I learned a lot, and uh, and and still learning there. So you know, it's it is definitely a. Uh, I felt I leveled up in my recovery when I became when I when I started uh, when I got uh, exposed to yoga, and uh, so the people that and, and besides that, the people that I met in the yoga community are just you know they're just super people, and it's just increased. Uh, my support net, you know, and, and, and my community and my, my personal community and my personal support network cannot be deep or wide enough. Uh, there was, that was not always the case in my life. Uh, but today I, I'm open to welcoming in new people into my life. And uh, the, one of the things that happens with this podcast every time is that I either, uh, sometimes I have people I don't even know show up at my house to come. They've, they've, they've wow. been sent by somebody else or something like that. And I don't even know what they look like until uh, they see their car pull up in the driveway. Uh, <laughs> so what always happens here, and it's, I call it, instead of collateral damage, I call it collateral benefit, is that I, I, I get a new friend or I know a current friend better. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that, that connection and, and knowing one another better is one of the things that I, so although I get to put this voice out here and hopefully help some people uh, with some avenues of how to get better, how to uh, heal, it also uh, on a personal level that I get to have uh, to deepen my connection with my community yeah. and my friends and things. So, uh, Which really is what yoga is all about. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah right. Yoga. There you go. Yep. Unite. Right. Yep. Yep. Connect. Yeah. So uh, last year was 19, 2019. Yep. Um, I had plans to go to this uh, yoga festival in Harris, right outside of Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And, uh, and the person who was going with me uh, backed out kind of towards the last minute. And... Um, but I uh, ended up just by chance, if you believe in accidents, uh, knew another friend and that, that was going, and, and you've heard his story on here, Vlad. And, and him and I would travel down there and, uh, and packed up our camping gear and bought food and traveled down there, not having a clue, really, what we were getting into. But we were drawn there. 
and uh, and it was a beautiful weekend. There's another one of those just really powerful weekends that 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 sense and that that energy that's around those kind of events is awesome. And uh, and at that event, I met Teresa. Teresa was set up as a vendor. Yeah, I was there and, as a vendor. Uh, and were you teaching too, or just a vendor? Nope, I was just, just there as a vendor yeah, with the body care her line. goods or yeah. body care stuff, yeah. you know. And we were cruising around, and you know, and you were uh, walking by. That's one of the things that uh, that uh, happens in those. Yeah, too, you you're know, like, what you got here? It smells good over yeah. here. It was a scent to that drew you in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were, we were. normally that'd be something you know that I would pass by yeah, right? as a yeah. dude and body care. I know, and, right? I yeah. know. So I always think that stuff happens on purpose too. There's a frankincense in the diffuser yeah. that I had diffusing yeah. away draws yeah. people in. So we chatted around over the weekend, and uh, and 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 I'll. The God honest truth is, is that she has some beard oil that smelled really good. And she actually told me it would smell really good. And, uh, and she told me a few other things about it too, which I found to be true. And, uh, Life changing. Yeah. And so I bought some of it and, uh, and we chatted for the weekend, you know, I had no idea really where that would go, but I We talked did. for a long time that yeah, day. I don't talk. know if you remember. Yeah, yeah it was really hot out. Yep. We yep. talked for a really long time. It was, uh, Actually, you were the first person that that weekend. It was the first day. You all were walking down, um, and and you were the first. You were my first sale, oh, which yeah. is funny enough. Yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was that. really cool, and uh, we talked forever. Um, at like an hour. I mean, it seemed like forever because it was so hot outside, oh, yeah. and it's like ten minutes. You know. Yeah, and on the flip side, yeah. like uh, I talk about this like down at my cabin and stuff. Like time does not count. Yeah, like those it's, events, time yeah, doesn't really it's, count yeah, either. Yeah, it's a right? continuum. It's, not, yeah, it's totally. It doesn't. You don't yeah. really need to watch. You know, they yeah. might have gone when it's time. But we talked. We talked for really longer than no, like longer than um, usually. I a standard I, customer. Yeah, a standard customer would come in and, and look and go on. Yeah. Yeah, and you were with your friend and so the three of us sat there and talked forever and it was like literally the, like we had known each other in, in a past life you had just graduated from your 200 hour yeah, right. you just graduated just yeah. and so you were like yeah I just graduated um, you know from my yoga teacher training and I was like oh my god I owned a studio in Lexington and so we had that connection and like you said I mean yoga literally connects people um, and of course we were at a yoga festival, so the vibe there was just, it was awesome. It was a, it was a fun weekend. I was the same. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. That was the, um, the first time I had ever, in my path. and the first time I had ever been, um, outside of my own community of Lexington per se. Most of the events that we do are here in Lexington or the surrounding this one was down in Mercer County, right? Harrodsburg. Yeah, Kentucky's yeah. got so many doggone counties that I yeah, can't yeah, yeah. Well, Her it was you know the outskirts of Harrodsburg, but right. it was a Louisville community. It was a Louisville yeah. yoga community, right, right. which I was completely unfamiliar with. Yep. Um, right. So I was a little bit nervous because I'm very familiar with the community in Lexington, but really, other than one or two instructors, didn't know really much of anything of the Louisville community. So I was very interested in going and, and being able to connect. Yeah, I always say, it's, you know, I'm able to reach outside. I go outside my perimeter. Yeah. Because you know, I have this like we circle get, where I yeah, stay Yeah, exactly. You stay inside and, and you uh, hear the same thing and you meet the same people. You know, and, and that's, you know, yeah. There's some like safety inside the perimeter. Of course there's right? safety you know? in it. Yes, it's but, easy. <laughs> yeah. I have to step outside Exactly. It's Exactly. While. It's hard to step outside of your comfort zone. And that for me that weekend was, uh, 
you know, I didn't, I didn't really know that many people. I, I actually, looking back, I only knew one bodywork practitioner that was there um, of all the like attendees or instructors or the people putting it on. I had never been down to uh, Terrapin Hills. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, that was the first time I'd ever been there. So, I mean, I didn't know the, I knew nothing. I knew, didn't know the setup. I knew nothing. Um, and it was really, really, really a cool weekend. I was able to connect and grow, you know, grow my own, like you said, like connections of all of a sudden, I, I even the people I was set up next to. Yeah. I was set up next to Alan Wilson on one side yeah. with his, uh, I knew him. yeah, the, the pillows and the, and the clothing the and stuff and like stuff that. And yep. That. And he was with his friend. And um, Gimme Hugs Dude was on the left. It's the first time I met him. Too. Yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. He's from the little boy. You know, I never, neither but, one of them. And so they were on the left and literally we spent three days together, like on their own little, you know, shakedown street of vendor row. Right. And, and so it was really, it was really interesting. It was fun. And actually I just, uh, uh, Shelby with, um, I, I forget like her I don't She's, remember. I know it's, it's Dustin. It's Gimme Hugs Dude is the Dustin. main business. But yeah, Dustin. And, and then she has like a, a side business where she does jewelry mm. um, rings. She actually has a piece of amber of mine right now that she's making into a ring. Oh, very cool. And they're he, Dustin's supposed to be sending me some mala pieces yeah. uh, to sell up here in the store. Wow. And that's another cool thing about going to these events because I, part of my mission as my business um, you know, I do the body care and I, I teach yoga and, but part of my mission is helping, um, to expose other small businesses and other artists, giving them space to sell their wares as well, right, because yeah. cross pollination, cross pollination, exactly. Because we really as small businesses, and I think over the last three months, we've all realized we are all in this together. There are, we are all in this together and we are little voices and we're little wallets and we're little tax paying dollars uh, against the big guys. But if we can team up and work together, I mean, that's how we influence decisions yeah. being made and because and, it all affects us. We're all paying, you know, we're all, the government doesn't care if you're a one person or two person entity or, yeah. and actually you get way more benefits the more people you have because the more tax revenue. So yeah, I've always part of, you know, part of, I, I realized this when I was back in my old corporate days. Um, and I so desperately wanted to be the small business, but a big voice of small business. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my, in, in my business plan. Yeah. And everyone was like, you're going to what? Why? Like, yeah, I could, I could set up deals with whoever I want. I can sell whatever I want. I've got space and shelves and, and I can put it all up there. And, and so, yeah, so Dustin, I uh, reached out to him when we opened the new space. We were kind of constricted in our old location. Yeah, that's um, another thing just I'll bring in is that uh, Teresa's just moved and yeah. is in a larger location. So like we kind of, I don't know, almost feel a little celebratory. Yeah. Did you say that was the first class? The that outside? was the first outdoor class. Our first class was last Sunday. Last Sunday. So, I mean, we're still so right we're on the still uh, very... grand opening of the new location. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it yeah. does have that vibe to me. We had a grand soft thing. opening last last week. Yeah, uh, so that's you know. cool energy to go along with. Yeah, this. it's really, it's been fantastic. And and that, you know, I, I reached out to, to Dustin and Shelby and was like, hey, I have 
some shelf space that I would love to put a couple of your pieces up in it. And I, again, I don't know if I can sell it, but I really like their mission. I really like the two of them. I think it's awesome what they're doing and, yeah. and any way that I can help out. And, you know, somebody may walk in and see a beautiful piece of theirs. They make fantastic right. jewelry. So well, we know we're in a, we know we're more powerful in community than we are on a long Hundred percent. So when we're doing these kind of things, you know, it's like you know what you, what you wind up doing is having more people to help paddle the boat. Yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, and, exactly, and, and, exactly. You know, everybody's and, kind of heading a different. Uh, yeah. Everybody's got a different spot they're heading to, but it's it just ain't general direction. Yeah, yeah, and that weekend was just perfect because it, you know, I opened up my studio here in Lexington in 2016. Um, prior to that, my yoga studio experience was very nil. Mm. <laughs> I uh did you grow up here no I grew up in Vermont that's right yeah I'm born and raised in Vermont in the Green Mountains I remember uh, that yeah that's in Vermont. Vermont yeah 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 because you went yeah I saw you posting up there in Woodstock Vermont I'm like what yeah uh because I used to spend my Christmas yeah I used to spend my Christmases uh up in Woodstock I grew up um I grew up in a, a, a small town, um, but in Vermont, it's a big city. <laughs> Compared to the rest of the world, it's a small town, but uh, it's, a big, it, it's a big, you know, one of the big cities. There's Burlington and then Rutland I grew up in. Um, I was actually born in the same, fun fact, born in the same hospital as John Deere. Oh, wow. <laughs> Weird, Rutland Regional Medical Center. Everyone thinks he's like from Illinois, but really he's, he was born in, in Rutland, Vermont. Hmm. Um, but I, uh, I grew up there and, you know, pretty easy way of life. It's, you know, it's Vermont. So there's not so, much yeah, going my, on up my there. My limited yeah. experience was there's certainly like a pace. Yes, it's, it's very, yes, it's not fast <laughs> at all. No, and it, it is, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it, Kentucky reminds me a lot, not so much Lexington, but outside of Kentucky, when you get out into the counties, yeah. that's more like yeah. Vermont. Yeah. Um, your neighbors, your neighbors know, everybody knows each other. I mean, I grew up in this, in this little neighborhood of maybe like maybe 50 or 60, I don't know, uh, houses, but everybody knew everybody. Um, all the kids played together. Uh, we used to play this one cool game called bike chase, which was hide and go seek. I don't know why it was called bike chase. It had nothing to do with bikes, oh, really? but it was hide and go seek. But we grew like where I grew up was at the base of, um, Kind of like Killington and, and Pico are the two big ski resorts up where I grew up. And so as you come down the mountain, um, I grew up kind of tucked in, literally tucked in an eighth of a mile or a quarter of a mile from the Long Trail, which is part of the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. So if that tells you anything about literally when I say I grew up in the mountains, I grew up in the mountains. Yeah. I was a mountain girl. Uh, my house was tucked up underneath that, that delicious green mountain. Um, we were up there. We yeah. We put so we went and made sure that we hiked a little of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that like got on it exactly. For a while and, and and the Appalachian Trail. It's so funny because people are like, oh my god. And then I think to myself like, how ecologically spoiled I was growing up because the Appalachian Trail was my backyard, yeah. and because it was really a safe place to grow up. Of course, I grew up back in late seventies, early eighties, but so times were a lot different. But I, we would leave in the morning time and, you know, my father always had this rule that you always had water, which even if you didn't have water, we had fresh springs up in the mountains anyway, so it didn't matter. You always had a water source. We always packed a lunch. We always carried matches with us just in case we were to get lost. And we would leave our neighborhood and go across the street and, and literally there was <laughs> the Green Mountain National Forest. And we would go up into those woods, 
We would just be like, we're going to the woods. Yeah. And we would play out there all day yeah. and hike and get lost. I can't tell you how many times you're like, we would be up in the middle of the woods and, then, and we didn't have phones. We didn't have right. GPS. I mean, there's nothing. You get lost and all you're doing was walking downhill until you came somewhere. And then eventually, I mean, we always got lost in, in, in adventures. It was always about having these adventures. And, and once, you know, it started to get dark because it gets dark there earlier than it gets dark here. We would start walking back down, walking back down. And, and you were lucky and you came out to where your car was or you were unlucky and you came out three miles down the way and you had to walk all the way back up town line road back to your car, <laughs> you know, but either way, uh, and we and, got lost on yeah, the hike. Exactly. We didn't come out where our car was. No, so that's what happens. You, you know, and it's like even like we, when we hit the road, yeah. I wasn't quite sure if we needed to go that yeah. right or left. You, on my the father's road, you know, my like, father's frame of reference was as long as you're walking downhill, you're always gonna come yeah. to something. Well, there's nothing. And you know, but we always made it home. Uh, we funny. always made it back safe and, and it was it was really neat. We were really ecologically spoiled uh, because we had mountains as our backyard um well, but we were up there we just coincidentally and it made me think of the old appalachian trail and that uh we run in we did and i actually feel like fortunate that we did we bumped into a young gentleman mm. i would like to say he's a kid but he was probably he was someplace in his yeah. middle to late 20s 20 20s, yes and he was through hiking it yeah and he was oh it's Maine, amazing and he had left like yeah. You know, Georgia or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was August and he'd left like Georgia in March or something. Yep. Yeah. Those you know? through hikers, man. Yeah. I don't know how they do that. I have a friend that has hiked it, uh, gone through two or three times or he's halfway through his third time now. It's amazing. And yeah, it's amazing. And it's the thing about the adventure, you know, I was really like, you know, it is. a bit, uh, envious or whatever well and it's kind of like you know it's like the men's like yeah cool thing dude growing up like that um you know i i had two sisters um i grew up in a really for the 80s kind of a backwards family my mother worked the retail job she was she worked multiple jobs in a grocery she was a teacher at one point but then decided that she was gonna um work in a grocery store and so she worked multiple jobs but by the time I was old enough to like be out on plane doing stuff, you know, that I didn't need to be have adult, although I should have had adult supervision probably 24 seven. By the time my parents thought I was okay <laughs> to be out on my own, um, you know, and playing around and stuff like that. Uh, my mom was working nights and weekends. My dad was a school teacher. So all of my girlfriends and, you know, were, it was so different the way they were raised. They were raised by their moms and their dads were the ones that were out, you know, it was just a different time. Um, not a hundred percent of them, but most of them. And they were very, you know, they would go on the weekends, they would go shopping with their moms in um, New Hampshire because you didn't have to pay state tax. So we always went over to New oh, Hampshire okay. or Glens Falls, you know, or, or we're all the, because in Vermont there was really nothing. So you had to either go to New Hampshire or you had to go to New York. Uh, or Massachusetts to, to go shopping. I was always super jealous because my friends had these, um, you know, cool things that with their mothers and, and I didn't. But then now I look back at, because my mom was, she I always seemed like she was at work. And then I look back and, and even then, um, my dad was always there. Yep. And my dad had, yeah, my dad had no sons. <laughs> so guess who got to be the sons? Yeah. And I throw up my quotation mark. Uh, and we, my dad was a hunter and a fisherman. He loved to fish. He, he stopped hunting when I was little, but he loved, loved, loved to fish. 
So on Saturday mornings, because he was a school teacher, he was home with us. He was home with us in the afternoons. He was home with us on the weekends. He was home with us during the summer. And so for him, yeah, I mean, it was like, what are you going to do? Well, he was an out, he loved being outdoors as well. So, you know, we literally, from the time I remember being able to walk, my father had us up in those woods, uh, you know, hiking and fishing and, and, uh, um, snowshoeing and, and we would take snow tubes up there and there were these huge logging trails mm-hmm. and we would take the snow tubes up and climb up the mountain and then ride the snow tubes down oh, like yeah down these huge logging trails down the mountain I mean it was like it was like we had our our own um paradise yeah. up there that's uh, why I called my place I was like I have my own yeah slice of paradise but I'll tell you being and it feels that way being a, a female being raised outdoors with your father <laughs> you know there wasn't there wasn't it was different. It was much different. Yeah, but you know, I, like it wasn't. You know, you're looking. I wasn't a girly girl. Perspective is different, though. Perspective, hundred percent different. Stuff. Yeah. When you were there. Yeah. That was normal. It was normal. <laughs> I didn't know anything, anything other. Like it. I knew that my my friend. You know, like I said, I I I kind of. But I understood. My mom was the one. I mean, my mom and dad both worked full time jobs. It's just that my dad was the one that was there the hours we were there. My mom was the one that picked up the night shifts and worked on the weekends and had that weird schedule because she could, because my dad was there. So, you know, they, they both provided this amazing life for us growing up. I was very, and I, and to this day, I don't know, you know, they say you pick your parents. I don't know what I did to pick two really hardworking, awesome parents that really just gave us, um, I had two sisters, there was three of us, really just gave us um, a world of, exploration, creativity, and, and, and the freedom to grow up in a place where it was so safe, I could, you know, we didn't, we didn't lock our doors. Yeah. You know, we didn't need to lock our doors. There's nobody around. <laughs> You're in the middle of Vermont. Like, there's, there's nobody around. Like, it, it just, it is, it was what it was. So and did they stay there? Did they? No, they actually, and that was part of, you know, part of um, my disconnect with myself eventually becoming an adult um they left and i don't even remember i think it was like 2000 so my dad was born in new hampshire my mom was born in vermont my grandparents were immigrants well my grandmother was conceived in italy born in here in uh well she was born in vermont so she was a naturalized citizen my grandfather didn't come over until like 1910 or 1917 so he was like seven uh, yeah he was 17 when he came over so my grandfather was an immigrant from Italy he came through Ellis Island um and and so I was really weirdly raised by um a a first generation Italian American and if you don't think that makes a difference it does (laughs) and and even now you know I mean my mom's in her late 70s she still has these old school habits that she you know, like you're, you know what you're raised with. Yeah. Um, and to so hear you her. you spent all your school years at Everything. I, yeah, I was in, I graduated from high school up there when I was 18. My older sister came to Kentucky in 91 when I was a freshman. She came to Moorhead. And then I, I left and then went to New Hampshire. Uh, and I was, I went to University of New Hampshire for two years. This is, you know, the day and age where you graduated, well, in our family, and especially we had, we had, I want to say we had privilege, I knew we had privilege, 
because my grand, not so much my grandmother died um, the year I was born. My mom lost her mom the year I was born. My mom was pregnant for me when, when my grandmother died. So I didn't really know my grandmother, but I knew my grandfather. Um, he hung around till he was 99 years old. Really? And yeah, and, and he was 77 when I was born. So my mom and dad are both on the younger spectrum of their, uh, their families. There's five brothers and sisters in each. And then my sisters and I are on the younger spectrum. So my grandfather was 77 when I was born. But the influence that I had of this man who came here to the United States with like 11 bucks in his pocket on a cowboy by choice for a better life. And then, and, and to see like, I mean, my grandfather worked until he was like 92 or three or four years old, five years old. Wow. He was a barber. He was a taxidermist. He, <laughs> he I, business has always been in my, I mean, it has always been in my blood. Um, I know from, from uh, my grandfather Pratico, he had a, a delicatessen he started and a bunch of properties. And, and he spoke very little English. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it, he, my grandmother was actually, he met my grandmother. My grandmother was his English teacher. Hmm. So um, I knew that, you know, growing up, I, coming from somebody who has given his all to make his life better for his family and, and for my mom and for her kids, which is our generation, and now for my niece and nephew's generation, you know, that it was... It's, it's, it's a big, huge uh, weight to hold on to because yeah. you know that that sacrifice was a big sacrifice. He left everything he knew at 17 years old and said, I'm out of here. And I kind of did the same thing when I was 18. I said, Psh, I'm out of here. You know, Vermont was, um, it was a lovely place to grow up, but I wanted to see and be, I think that's when I started to look for connection elsewhere. Hmm. Um, I loved my friends. I loved being in high school. I would go back and read, like everyone says, you know, do you, would you go back to high school? Would you go back? I'd go back to high school and redo the same thing the same way in a heartbeat. Man, I had so much fun, you know? I mean, we just had a really good time. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to, to make my own personal community bigger. And I had to do that by leaving home. So I left we were when I was 18. about things being in your DNA and that kind of about how we, you know, yeah. I think when you get to there, I think it is and to, in, yep. in a way that now it's time to like go explore. It's time exactly. to like, it's kind of like the yeah. biblical leave the parents' yeah, house kind exactly. of, Yeah, you exactly. Know, and I, and maybe it was the influence of I'm my in. sister, you know, she was down here. She left when she was 18 um, and came down to Kentucky and, and was going to college down here and you know, I think we know everything too. So or maybe it was the, well, of course. I mean, I still know everything, but maybe it was the influence. And, and looking back now after thousands of hours on a yoga mat trying to figure out, like, why am I the way I am? Why did I do the things I did? Why did I make this decision? I can remember one time my mom saying, when I moved to Kentucky, uh, which I did when I was 21, 20. It was the summer of my 21st birthday. Um, and, and that was another, like I, I moved to New Hampshire and I was going to college, so I was still kind of like under my parents' realm because, you know, they were helping me pay yeah, my tuition still, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I worked, I, I was a cheerleading instructor actually at the mm. time, my favorite, favorite job ever. I taught cheerleading camps to high school kids. And I was fresh out of high school, so it was like, I wasn't that much older than right. them. But again, I mean, it was a fun environment, high energy. I'm a high energy person, I'm super high energy, so. Um, and then through 
an unfortunate accident with my foot, I couldn't cheer in college. I was mm. cheering at UNH and I couldn't cheer anymore. And so I just was like, you know what? I, I, I got to go see the world. Like I, I, I can't settle here. You know, I, I loved New Hampshire. I loved my friends in New Hampshire. I fond memories of the two years I spent there. But once again, I went to my mom and dad and was like, I, I'm, called my sister. This is when we had like phones on the wall where you actually sure. had to dial the number, you know, and I can still remember standing there and calling her and being like, hey, if I take a bus, Greyhound, I take tra Vermont Transit to Greyhound. If I take a Greyhound bus down to Ashland, Kentucky, that was the closest I could get to Moorhead where she was, will you pick me up at the bus station? She was like, are you out of your mind? I mean, I'm 20 years old. I can do whatever I want. I know it all. And I was like, I'm just coming down for the summer. But can I stay with you when you pick me up? She was like, come on down. Two days later, packed my suitcase up. My mom was like, I, like, what have I done? By this time, my younger sister was going to school an hour north, talking about going to Mexico, which she did. My older sister's in Kentucky. I'm jumping on a bus, getting ready to go to Kentucky. Like, my mom is like pulling her hair out. Like, what have I done? She thinks you're abandoned. Yeah, her. what have I done to make you all want to leave home? And I can still remember having that conversation with her. I was like, it's not what you did. It's who you raised. And looking back now, like I said, under my thousands of sitting on a yoga mat trying to figure out, like, what, why am I the way I am? I think it was the freedom, the exploration, the adventure that we were allowed to have in the woods of Vermont. We learned how to survive. We learned self-reliance. We learned that if we got lost, we were always going to find our way out. We learned that if it got dark, it was okay. Yep. You know, we, we learned to rely on ourselves as, you know, I mean, little kids. But probably, my dad probably stopped going into the woods with us when we were like eight, nine, ten years old is when he would... You know, he didn't have to be there to watch oh, us yeah, anymore. Yeah, he didn't have to supervise it. He didn't have to supervise it. He would still go with us. Yeah. But we had that freedom of, you know, hey, we're going to play in the woods. We'll be back. And, and my dad, and you know, just pack up what you need. And he, you know, I mean, it was like, and gone. And we were gone for hours. And they didn't know when we were coming home. We didn't know when we were coming home. And we would just go up there and play. And, and similar, some background in mine too. My father allowed us to do, you know, allowed us to go do things. Yes, like yes, we had that freedom. And, I, we didn't have. And he did the same thing. You know, he taught us how to do this. The take basic care of yourself and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and so when I had that conversation with my mom, I'm like, it's not what you did wrong; it's what you did right. You've raised three daughters. daughters. That yeah, that want to see the world and and know that even though we're from this, you know, very nice, beautiful. Small small town it's still it's small town there's bigger you know there was bigger and more adventures out there for us we had already done everything there and and you know I mean you know I I don't know so we I got on a bus I took a 26 hour ride it was the craziest 26 hours really in the top five you know 24 hour periods of my life it was one of the craziest no cell phones no way to call. Still, collect, you know, you would call. Stop collected. at a payphone. Stop at a payphone at the at the place, and I went from like Rutland, Vermont, and over to Troy, New York, which is kind of a, a rougher part of the. It's it's like Troy and Albany and Schenectady. It's all kind of in there, and it's you know 
compared to Vermont, a little bit rougher yeah. scene at the right. bus yeah. station. And that's when I realized home, that I was like not in Kansas anymore. And then I went from Troy, New York across to um, Pennsylvania, or yeah, all the way across New York into Pennsylvania, came down through like Erie, Pennsylvania. And I had to stop at these different stops and change buses, which I had never done before. I mean, I'm completely on my Connecting own. Connecting flights. 20 years old, probably weighed like 105 pounds soaking wet with my just my suitcase. And I'm just like on this adventure by myself. Uh, and, and, I, and I noticed, I kept a journal, which was really funny because I still have it and I still go back, of the funny things that I saw, the funny people that I met. And the, the transition between Vermont to New York to Pennsylvania to Ohio. One of our stops was in Salem, Ohio, which is a, I don't know if they were Amish or Mennonite. I don't remember. Like at that point in time, I just assumed Doesn't that they were. Doesn't matter a lot, really. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, now I look back and I'm like, I really don't know. I just assumed they were Amish, but they could have been Mennonite. I don't, I don't know. It was, you know, just in their, the yeah, way they were dressed. And there, and there was no room on the bus for them. So it was like these men and the women and the women were holding their kids and little kids and they literally rode from Salem, Ohio, all the way to Ashland, Kentucky, standing up on this bus. I mean, I just was like, my eyes were wide open and I was like, oh my God, like this is an adventure. I had never, other than in, in books, I'd never seen an Amish community. You know, like yeah, I'm this little right, girl from yeah, Vermont. Yeah. I see cows and dairy farms and, and woods and that's really it so um i i my sister picked me up in ashland and we got to moorhead and i moved in with her and i shared bunk beds with my um niece and nephew she she has two kids kids that were from her husband she's the stepmother of the two kids so it was me and two nine-year-olds and it was the time of my life mm -hmm. it was the best summer i ever had i had no parental supervision i had uh, a sister that let me do whatever I wanted to do. I had to work, which was fine. Um, I, I've always loved to work anyways. I opened up an Arby's restaurant. Uh, I opened up the back kitchen. So I made, they called me the biscuit queen. Hmm. So I made the biscuits and, and you know, I took a part-time, you yeah, know, minimum wage job. I think I made like 325. Go find a job. Yeah, exactly. Go find a job. Okay. And I worked full time and opened up their kitchen and prepped uh, vegetables and, and cooked the roast beef and cooked the cookies and made the biscuits and everything. I went in at like four o'clock in the morning and got out at one o'clock in the afternoon and had the whole afternoon to explore Moorhead, Kentucky. And, yeah. and that's how I wound up in Kentucky. Uh, it's really crazy. Did you have any intention of going to school there or was it just... Nah, well, just I was still in school in New Hampshire and I thought... I wanted to go back to college, but at that time I was really only in college because I was told I had to go to college. You know, like, I yeah, I was expected. Like script, you know, get out of high school, go to college, get married, have 2.3 kids. Yeah, yeah. right? Two exactly. Cars, and garage. I was in college and I was racking up student White loans. It's a UNH is not a cheap school. It wasn't cheap back in the mid nineties. Um, and so I had like all this debt that I had accumulated and, and I was doing okay in school. Um, I was a cheerleader though. So I partied, <laughs> you know, I would, I had, I had not made the cheerleading squad at UNH. I never would have got to UNH. I mean, I didn't go to school to go to college. I was a cheerleader and I hurt my ankle. I couldn't cheer. I was out for the season. I couldn't teach summer camps. I was out. 
And I had to, I tore ligaments, which still now at 40, almost 43, um, still affect my feet. Mm -hmm. You know, it was an injury that mm -hmm. I slipped uh, on wet football field. And so you actually hurt yourself while you was cheering? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, we were out and we were cheering. And of course, when you're a cheerleader, you cheer in the rain and in the yeah. snow and yeah. in the heat and in the cold. And, you know, you're there. You're If they're playing, you're cheering. Right. There's yeah. no, you don't get to take a time out you're a cheerleader you're there you're on the front lines <laughs> and uh you're, and actually more importantly so uh and i think that's where a lot of my spirit comes from is i'm just i i i can remember sometimes standing in front of crowds you know the crowd is sitting there and it's pouring the rain and the football team's still playing and you're outside in the elements and everyone you know your job is to rally the troops and get those fans up off their feet like that's your job um, and I loved it. I loved being the high energy. I, I was a flyer until I went to college. So I was the one that they threw up in the air. Um, and then when I got to college, I was small enough to still fly, but big enough to be strong enough to be middle. So I was like a middle base, but I flew, I was like the, the second half of the pyramid. Um, but I was, I was fearless. I was scared of nothing. And, and it was like the more shock value that I could add to that crowd, you know, it, the better it was right, yeah. because that it was just who I was. I loved it. I loved being in front of people and performing and, and just, it was, it was a fabulous time. Uh, it was being a college cheerleader was probably one of the best times of my life. My teammates were awesome. It was a lot of work. Yeah. What I didn't do is I didn't study yeah. and I didn't go to school. I didn't go to class. I did the bare minimum. And so I was really kind of just keeping it enough so my mom and dad stayed off my tail. I think when well, I left. You were more headed. It was like just for the summer kind of thing? So yeah, I was just going for the summer so for you were out a good time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had a, an ex-boyfriend and, and, well, he was a boyfriend at the time. And I was kind of like not feeling it with him. But, you know, how do you... How do you deal with all that? Well, my way of dealing that was, yeah, was packing up and just getting out and moving out. Yeah, my, so, I always joke around, my uh, number one conflict resolution tool is to bolt. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out. Like, I'm out. This yeah. isn't working and I don't People know what else to do. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Mm. So, I left, uh, or I came down here to Kentucky and that's when things that's when my decision making really started to like kind of be questionable. Um, I wasn't cheering and I think that always kept me on the straight and narrow. Um, I partied when I was in high school. I probably started drinking when I was like 14, 15, 16. I don't know, sometime back then. Um, smoking cigarettes. 14's a bell ringer kind of time. Yeah, 14. I've had on this podcast. Yeah. Is it where people if start? I was, if I could like, you know, if I started keeping a poll, Fourteen. So can you check when you best, yeah. your, best your recollection? It's like that. And you know, also say this other thing my mom and dad weren't drinkers. I knew that's I was... the weird thing. My mom and dad don't drink. They, well, my mom drinks wine. You know, I mean, that's just... Like, you had wine with dinner, but my mom and dad were... They didn't drink. They didn't do drugs. Like, it was... It was... I don't <clears> think <throat> they really... I don't we know if We would call them, in my community, hmm? normal. 
Yeah. <laughs> normal, right? They're normal. My mom and dad were yeah. married. I had three sisters. Not everybody's blacking out on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, Not right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my mom and dad, if they went out, I mean, they they danced. My mom and dad met dancing, and they have still been married for 50-some-odd years, like 52, 53 years, 52, I think. Uh, 52 and a half, probably. They've been dancing still. We had our, our uh, soft opening, and, and a couple weeks ago, we had a DJ come down here, a traveling DJ. It was awesome. He set up out back and, and uh, did his virtual uh, DJ stuff from, from the back of the studio. And my mom and dad were still out there dancing. They met dancing. They went cool. out. Nice. They went out, and they had fun. But they drove home sober, both of them. <laughs> like, my dad has never drank. Um, and my mom is like a one glass of wine kind of gal, and that's it. I don't think I've ever really seen my parents drunk. Yeah. Um, and there surely was no drugs at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they didn't smoke. They, I mean, it was, it was, it was absurdly normal. Yeah. Quote unquote, if that's normal, I guess apparently that's abnormal. But but was it more head where you said? I mean, because you probably uh, we all yeah, well, yeah, we, exactly. We all I mean, when I was in high school, I was experimenting. When I went to college, it was just like you know college parties and 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 I liked. I I really I realized that I could be the li- I was the life of the party, but it was like that mentality of like the drunker I got, the more of a life of party was because I was so fearless that. I don't know how I ever saw 20 years old because I, looking back, I did some really stupid stuff that I probably shouldn't have done, but I did it. And it was like, I kept testing fate and I kept testing fate and, and I kept winning. So it was like, yeah. So then I met this guy down here in Kentucky and that I ended up getting married to him. I was married to him for three years and that was when, um, I knew, I think at 20, 21 years old, 22 years old, I knew that I had an addictive personality. I knew that, uh, I mean, I, 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 and I was, but I never really went the way of drugs. I smoked weed, but I never really did anything else other than that. I mean, I never did. I don't know why I'm saying never really. I, I never did anything other than that. I was the one that was like, you know, I, I mean, I went to college in New Hampshire during the time of like when Grateful Dead was still touring, Fish was touring, people were doing acid and mushrooms and all that stuff. I recognized in myself that I had severe anxiety, even though I was fearless when it came to stuff. Socially, I had anxiety. Um, and it was, it was a really weird mix to, to be fearless and be the life of the party, but at the same time, always feeling like I was trying to fit in. Um, well, you know, some of that's like a compensation thing. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And 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 you could have been a compensation thing. I've always been the smallest person yeah. to height wise. When I don't feel like I'm <laughs> enough, know? or I don't, you know, yeah, exactly. do something to like to blow where, your mind. Like the class clowns come from. Exactly. I was the cla- I was the loudest kid in the class. Obviously, I have. I'm still the loudest kid in the class. Um, and I, you know, I totally, uh, things just got really sketchy when I, when I got married to my ex-husband and, and God rest his soul, but he passed away last year. He, wow. yeah. And, and, and which we were only married for three years. Well, I was out of that by like the time. That's not the, yeah. that was not the line I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, I kept telling him, you know, we stayed in contact and, 
And he's the reason why. And he was a really good guy when he was sober, but he was a really shitty guy when he was on drugs. And unfortunately, when we got married, it was one of those things where I can change him, I can change him, oh my God. And so I was partying and carrying on, drinking, smoking weed. And, and in my own mind, I kept telling myself he was doing the same thing, even though I knew he was going way deeper and way faster and way crazier. And then there were days where he wasn't coming home and it was just this big, um, you know, you know how it is. Uh, yep, yep. And so finally I, I, and of course now I have to go back to my quote unquote normal parents that I've been married for by this time 40 years and be like, yeah, well, I need to get a divorce. You know, after this huge wedding, been married for two and a half years, you know, like my mom and dad spent out all this money and, and, and I had to go back to my mom and dad and be like, okay, you're right. I was wrong. I'm 23 years old and now I'm divorced and I have no college education. Not that back then I thought, you know, that this is the key to, to everything. And, and, um, at that time, somewhere through all of that, I went to beauty school, <laughs> weirdly enough. And I graduated from beauty school or cosmetology. Back then it was beauty school. Now it's cosmetology school. I better get my terminology correct. Um, and I was a cosmetologist and I was doing hair and I was waiting tables and I was just hustling and bustling and doing what I could to keep my bills paid and keep my ex-husband, you know, from going off the deep end, which he did multiple times. Uh, at, by the age of 23, I had driven him down here to Lexington probably five or six times to the Ridge. Now it's like pathways or something. I don't know. It's treatment center. Yeah, to Car Charter Ridge. Charter Ridge is yeah. what it was called. I don't know. It's, yeah, but it's treatment center. Yeah, Lessons is just far enough from Louisville that... Yeah, uh, right? That you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't remember what they call it right now, but it was called it was Charter Ridge. Center. Yeah, it was a treatment center. It was like an outpatient just treatment like center. Just like Drove his tail down treatment here. Treatment centers or treatment centers no matter where. Yeah, and at this time we had cell phones, so I was like, okay, I'm dropping you off. Call me when you need me to pick you up, but don't come home till you're sober. And, you know, treatment centers back then were totally different. And I knew that I loved him, but I knew that I hated him. I loved him when he was sober, but it was hard to keep him sober. Meanwhile, how can I keep him sober when I'm, I mean, I was drinking and partying and carrying on it's a really interesting it, dynamic it's such i know a, that he's yes, got a problem now yes, i'm gonna keep on right, doing what i'm exactly. doing and i need you to stop yeah you i know, would drop him that, off because you know? he was blowing cocaine up his nose like it was his job i drop him off at charter ridge and then turn around and drive all the way back to moorhead and and go party with my friends and get blasted you know drunk out of my own mind and it was fine that i was drinking because that's not cocaine. Yeah. The government said cocaine's illegal. That's a drug. But I could go and drink till I was blacked out. And you know, that's when I really started to like party like a rock star is what I like to say. But really started to, you know, up all night. And, and here's the thing though. I never really, back in my 20s, never really thought to myself that I had a problem because I was so functioning with it. I could get up in the morning, smoke a joint, go to school. By this time, I enrolled back in Moorhead State. I knew I wanted something better for myself. I knew I wanted, um, you know, I, the only way you can get health insurance, which I didn't have, um, or a 401k, we talked about this before, which I desperately needed because that's what I was told, that you have to have health insurance and 401k. Um, the only way I could do that was with a college degree. Because you have to work for a company right. that's going to hire you with a college degree so you can take care of 
those nonsensical things that you don't really want to take care of. Yeah, I'd heard somebody phrase it, you know, and I was real particular when I heard it because they said you need to get a you need to get a job with good uh, good benefits and health insurance. You know, they don't say you need to get a good job. No, they just got to get a job. Yeah, with, with, this with, is what's with health insurance. Good and, benefits and, yeah, and good exactly. health insurance. Exactly, and that's, that's what, how I think most people are. The job's really going to suck. Exactly, the job's going to suck. Good yeah, insurance. we don't care. Exactly. <laughs> so I re-enrolled back into school, and at this time I was a little bit older. You know, I was. I had just gotten a divorce and um, my ex-husband, you know, we, we, I'll go back to that real quick. We stayed on terms. He, from the time we got divorced, which was 22 and a half we were, um, he was my age, till last year. He was in and out of jail. He was in and out of rehab. He was in and out of um, jail. <laughs> Uh, he had a couple wives and, and three or four kids and just, you know, decisions that he had made that I was sitting back. But so the, he's still doing the same thing. The weird thing about all of it is whenever he got out of jail, he would always call me. Hmm. And from all these different phone numbers. I mean, he has always changed. My phone number has been the same since I was 19 years old. All different phone numbers. And so I'd answer I always knew because I never recognized that. And I'd be like, Hello? He'd be like, hey, what's up? And I was like, oh my God, like, are you out of jail again? And you know, it kind of came this joke between us where we stayed friends. I really did not want, like I wanted to see the best for him and I really wanted to see the best for his kids. I mean, here he is and he really was a good guy and, and he just, he had his own demons that he was fighting and, he, and I always felt like because I finally got sick of it, I could not do it anymore. I mean, I could handle myself as drunk. I just couldn't handle him as a drug addict. And so I finally, uh, I finally um, gave up on him. And so I always felt like even as I went through my 20s and my 30s that I gave up on him. And, and I, I always answered that phone and I always listened to him. And, you know, we, we stayed friends and, and I kind of traveled this path with him when he came. It was always when he got out of jail, though. Then I wouldn't hear from him forever. And then I'd get a call again, and it was like, yep, out of jail again. Yep, out of jail again. Call when your ass is on yeah, fire. Yeah, and finally it was like really crazy. He finally, rehab finally stuck uh, for a while. And somebody took a chance on him, and he opened up a little barber shop. And he had his dream uh, up in Portsmouth, Ohio. Um, and he was, he seemed like he was doing really well, and he had a brand new baby, and, and this, that, and the other. And then one day I got the call dead hmm. overdosed oh, and I was like yeah I mean you know and and for me that was last that was la a year and a half ago uh his mom was the one that called me and you know to hear the the sadness in her voice and I mean it just it really ripped through me but the whole time I kept saying you know there was there was nothing anyone could have done you know, and at this time, I'm, I'm, I haven't drank, and, and I still party, but I don't party, <laughs> you know. I, I still party, but now I'm the sober girl. <laughs> I'm the fun corner sober girl. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was tough, and it was like six months prior, I had a conversation with him, and he was like, no, no, I'm, you know, he, he had opened up his own business, and somebody gave him a chance and gave him a space, and, and I really thought that he, he had it figured out. You know, I really did. And so we were laughing about it and talking and I kept saying like, you have to remember when you're 42 years old, you can't do drugs like you're 21. You know, you just can't, your body can't handle it. And, and sure enough, he, he ended up, uh, 
overdosing and and it was tough it was it was i grieved for who he was when i met him at 19 and i grieved for who he was and who he tried to be that i just could never get there so i did want to throw that in there but he is the reason why i stayed in kentucky mm. I didn't go home, I didn't go to college, I dropped out, went to beauty school, and then finally, after I got divorced from him, I started to, to see that I needed something other than, um, not that I didn't love to do hair, I loved it, but I wanted to be my own boss. And this is when I was like 23, 24 years old, and I had that business sense, like I just, I know I can do something more for myself. Um, so I re-enrolled back in college and I took an accounting class and an economics class and I fell in love with college again and I fell in love with business and I, and I, I just, I finally found something that I could excel at, that I was good at, that I was getting A's at that came really seamless for me. Um, you said before that like you, you have that engineering mind. Uh, when I very first went to college, I went to school for mathematics and I was in the engineering school. Mm. Um, but I, I always have had a very analytical numbers, like patterns. I can figure them out like this. And so going into like economics and accounting and quantitative methods, for me, it was just like, oh, yeah, like this is my wheelhouse. Right. Um, and I was at school in Moorhead, which was a smaller college, and I loved it. And I ended up graduating. I graduated one of the top of my class. I got the real estate marketing and management student of the of the year award uh, I showed up my professors loved me I, I showed up in all my classes meanwhile I was working full-time and partying full-time um, and it, you know I don't I don't know how I ever was able to manage all of it but I was I, I was able to focus on okay I'm gonna study so I would sit down and study and then it was like okay I'm gonna go I worked full-time by this time I was married and divorced yeah and yeah you have all this energy when you're yeah you have all this energy when you're 24 25 years old where it was like don't take his toll on you like no it sure didn't and then i would get out yeah i mean i would work until 11 12 o'clock and then go home and by two o'clock in the morning was rolling around you know totally annihilated and by four o'clock in the morning was hung over and throwing up all over myself and by um you know, seven o'clock in the morning was up and in the shower and had my makeup on and was back up on campus and yeah, and taking classes and loving life and, and loving my studies and come home and do my homework and, and back to work I went and it was just that, like that Groundhog cycle, that day. pattern. Yeah, uh, five, six, seven days a week and, and it was fabulous. It was really, it was fun. And I, and I, again, I always had really good friends. Like it didn't matter where, for somebody who hated walking into a room where she didn't know anybody, and still as an adult, if I don't know somebody, it's really hard for me to walk into a room. But now I'm forcing my, like now through experience, I've learned that walking into a room when you know nobody is the best adventure of all. It's hard. You just gotta tell yourself you can do it. And you walk in and all of a sudden you don't know anybody, and you can be whoever you want, <laughs> you know? There's nobody judging you by your past. Yeah. There's nobody to look at you and say, oh, well, you failed at this. And they don't know your failures. They don't know, you know, that's the hardest thing, I think, about growing up through life is the, the, the people around you who want to put you in that pigeonhole of this is who you are. 
And they don't let you evolve. They don't let you change. They don't, you know, because you did this to me 15 years ago, so you're still that same person. No, we're not. Yeah. We, we're not. If we stay the same, we're, like you said before, we're staying stagnant. You always have to create. You always have to redesign. You always have to figure out who am I, not based on who I was. You know, I, I, I think back to the best thing that I ever did when I was in my yoga teacher training was we had to meditate on who we were as children and what we loved to do as children. I loved to sell stuff. I loved it. I loved going door to door. I loved meeting my neighbors. I loved this, not the act of selling stuff, but like when we had to do Girl Scout cookies and when we had to do, I would have lemonade stands. One day my sister and I came up with this harebrained idea that we were gonna go door to door in our neighborhood and sell tap water that we put into a cooler for a quarter and literally just knocked on our neighbor's doors. And, and you know, we were the cute little Hubbard girls and everyone was like, oh my God, it's a cute little Hubbard girl. We were like, we're selling water for 25 cents a cup. And people were giving us 25 cents a cup of tap water. I mean, it was the- So you like had a water jug with a dispenser. Yeah, no, we just took the tap water and poured it into the little portable cooler and carried the cooler around with Dixie cups and we're selling the Dixie cups at 25 cents, just pouring it out of the- Yeah, so it had, that's yeah. I mean, a water cooler, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a like, kind of thing, like, not like a cooler you put yeah, beer in. Yeah, no, 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 like a cooler. Water jug yeah, type of cooler. like, yeah, with like a, a little- with a little spigot and, and okay. I just need to visualize what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, like a little uh, igloo cooler, you know, it was like a round one like this, and we would just we would carry. Run out of water, you run home and you fill it back up. Yeah, we go home, fill it up out of. The, I mean, it what was a, a genius. Yeah, you wouldn't do that at home. I know. And, and well, and then when they came out with bottled water, I was so mad because I'm like, man, I was doing this when I was like eight years old, like selling tap. Plus, water. we were equal friendly because yes. we weren't selling the bottle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Why weren't we bottling it? I mean, it was it was. Stupid and but it was you know, but looking back it wasn't well It was the fact that yes first of all I was making money doing something I was like 10 years old or eight years old like I mean you get $20 and it, I was a millionaire, you know right. um, But it wasn't just that it was really what I'd love to do was go around and talk to my neighbors It gave me a reason to knock on doors yeah. and just talk spend the day talking to people and and you know there was the, always there's you know the old man that lived in a house that his wife had passed away and, and there was another lady who was older and, and her husband had passed away the look of joy on their faces when my sister and I would show right, up yeah. and, 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 and they had company and they would give us ice cream cones and it was like they were so happy to have somebody even though you know we probably were annoying them and driving them nuts, they always made us feel like. Yeah, I mean, they were probably lonely. You know? Yeah, exactly. That we were welcome. Two bundle of joys walked up. Exactly, and here they are, two rays of sunshine. Annoying, but yeah, it was the hell out of sitting here by myself. Right, exactly. I mean, and we were the. They probably didn't think that, but I get it. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? They probably enjoyed it. I mean, they probably really did. Yeah. So as you know, as I'm going through business school, it's like, man, I I I need to start my own business and. And, you know, the hairdressing thing was okay, but I really just kind of did it because I had to do it to stay on my mom and dad's insurance. I had to be in school and, and hairdressing was, school was, I don't want to say easy, but I don't know. Schoolwork's always come very easy yeah. to me. Bookwork, you know, schoolwork, hairdressing, of course, it's all angles and it's all, you know, uh, coloring hair, perming hair, it's all formulations, anything mathematical. I, you know, I, I excelled at very rapidly. I could just do it. Um... 
And but it, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I I, re I rode the the Moorhead thing, and I ended up graduating in two thousand and four. Met my then boyfriend, now husband, in December of two thousand and three. Bob, you got to meet him. He's a good guy. He's yeah, he's he fun. He is. He he's my rock. He's been through this ride with me. Of um, he had a he had a, the exact opposite. His mom and dad were still married, but he had a very not really well he lost his two brothers his mom had polio um he came from a not quote-unquote normal family like i did his mother wasn't mobile she was a stay-at-home mom um his dad was the one that worked full-time yeah. and took care financially and his mom was a homemaker and and um so he learned a tough he had a tougher way of growing up than what i did uh, for me, it was a free-for-all, and, and even now, as adults, I mean, my mom and dad are still in, they're in Florida for seven-eighths of the year, and then they come to Kentucky, and they're very mobile, and they still go out, and they still go dancing, and they still go do stuff, and they're very active, yeah. and, and Bob's mom has since passed away, and his father is at a VA home, uh, foster home for veterans. Um, where he gets 24-hour care and he'll never come out of that home. You know, I mean, Bob, Bob's had a tough road when it comes to his parents. My parents, I never had to take care of my parents. Oh, someday I will. But now, you know, my, my parents always took care of we me. We have a little thing in recovery where we say yet. Yes, yet. <laughs> See, I never had to take care of my parents yet. Um, eventually, I will. But, you know, uh, Bob has... Bob, yeah, who knows? Exactly, right? We don't know what today even brings after this. <laughs> So, um, Bob, uh, he grew up taking care of his mother, you know, I mean, from the time he was able to walk and, and, and it was, he's just such a terrific guy. And I met him and he was so firmly grounded in who he was. And, and it was like to my tornado of ups and downs and craziness and dare I even go out on limb and say mental illness and, and anxiety and, and being good one second and crashing the next second. He was just like that rock that I could cling to. He was always stable because he grew up with this up and down, up and down, up and down. So by the time he was an adult, he, by the time he was in his mid twenties, he was, it is what it is, you know? It's like, we'll get through it. Well, I mean, we'll I, get, you know, we get trained. And, yeah, you know, he was, yeah, yeah, he yeah. He grew up in an environment that required yeah. him to be that He way. handles trauma and, and disappointment and, and, the bad stuff and obstacles, he handles it way better than I do. I, I like up and down, like a track runner. I'm like a hurdle runner. Yeah. I'm either up or I'm down or I'm tripping over the, and, and you know, and he just, he's so rooted and grounded. Of course, back then I didn't see it as that, but I just knew it, I felt safe. He was safe. Um, <laughs> and so this is like December of 2003. And then we graduated in spring of 2004. And I made that phone call to my mom again. It was like, Hey, guess what? And she was like, what? And I was like, we're moving to Phoenix. And she's like, what? Why are you moving? To Why not? It's another adventure. It's another place. Why stay here on the East coast? Like I did my thing. I New England all down, you know, the East coast, Ohio, Lived in Kentucky, been in Tennessee. My mom and dad, you know, were transitioning to Florida. I mean, East Coast is, that's old news. I need something new. I need something fresh. I need to go. So Bob, and, and, and of course, I've only dated Bob for like four months. So here I am, you know, know it all, 24 years old. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. 
Um, fortunately, this time it worked. But Bob and I and one of our friends graduated. We all graduated and packed up and moved out to Mesa, Arizona. Found a apartment online. And I stopped drinking then. Uh, my party days pretty much came to an end for a while. Um, and I was like 24, 25. Uh, and I had my business degree in my hand. And that's what I said to my mom. Like, I got a business degree, man. I can do anything. I graduated top of my class. I can get a job anywhere, you know? It's my golden ticket. Yeah, it's my golden ticket. What are you going to do? I don't know, but I'll figure it out. I mean, at this point in and time. to some extent, that's completely true. You should be able to under those conditions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're young, vibrant. Yeah, right, exactly. to work. Dri I mean. Yeah, exactly. I can drive across country. When I get out there, I'll figure it out. So we got out there. Well, the one thing that I've always had is waiting tables. I started waiting tables when I was, oh, God, way back like 14 or 15 years old, uh, we, we, I worked in a um, bed and breakfast, not really a bed and breakfast. It was like a bed, it looks like a bed and breakfast, but there was no bed. It was just a breakfast in, in the base of the mountain. And it was all like, you know, skiers coming in in the winter time. My sister and I waited tables, this little place. And, and I knew that with my personality and my ability to hustle and my ability to organize the million things that you have to do when you're serving people, that I always could get a job anywhere. Like, I never worried about not having If you can serve tables, you can make it wherever you go because people are always hiring good servers. Um, and, and I've always known that. And when I was in college, that's how I put myself through college was serving. And, and, and I moved out there, and I was with Cracker Barrel at the time. And I, Cracker Barrel, trans, I, I quit the job that I worked at in college to go work for Cracker Barrel because I knew they would transfer me through their system and I went out there and within 10 days I was on the Cracker Barrel schedule in Phoenix or Tempe, Arizona and I had a job and I was making instant cash and I didn't have to worry because I was a hustler and right. I was yep. I was gonna you know do it and and so I started to apply for jobs and then I, I started working for a company um, and it was my very first real job out of college. I mean, I can still remember getting my business cards and I had to buy a business suit and I, and, and which was totally not me. I was the, um, hippie dippy tie dyed, you know, t-shirt wearing hemp necklace wearing freaky kid from Vermont and stepping into a corporate world, which I don't come from a corporate world. Mm -hmm. I mean, my grandfather, even though he was a businessman, he always dressed very nice, but he was his own businessman. He never had somebody telling him what to do. Um, and I fell into a world that I did not belong in, but I needed to be in because my student loans were due. I'd start paying those back. Uh, and I had a car payment. And I had retirement and I had really good insurance benefits. And I, not that I didn't like the job, I loved the job. Um, it gave me an opportunity to, I was in the auto industry and, and I'm, I won't mention names, but I was in the auto industry, which is a male dominated world. Um, and I got to be the top female in a male dominated world. Like I was not gonna, you know, I mean, I, I was more than a pretty face, which they treated me like I was a pretty face. You know, I walk in, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But with my attitude and my resourcefulness and my, my strength and just who I was and how I could take care of myself, 
I really kind of fell into that world. Whereas I could, I could schmooze my way into the, into the dealerships and the body shops and into accounts and, and not do it in like a way where they thought I was going to sleep with them. I never had to do that because I could always just talk to people, right. you know, I could sell myself like, this is what I'll do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it right. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna take care of your customer. I'm gonna take care of your account. You are my number one. And, and you know, I mean, and then all of a sudden, you know, 11 years later, <laughs> um, I was back drinking again, probably about, well, we moved back to Kentucky three years later. Bob's dad got really sick and that was when I kind of, started in, um, I don't want to say depression, anxiety, hmm. uncertainty. I had lost control over, I mean, that wasn't the way, my life was supposed to be out in Arizona. Loved it. Loved my job, loved my friends, worked and worked and worked my tail off out there to move up with this company. I, I went from being um, a trainee and a new hire to be an assistant manager in like nine months to being a branch manager in, in a year. I mean, it was always like, I have to be the first. I have to be the first. So I was the first one out of my training class for this. My first one out of the training class for that. My first one out of my training class to get promoted to assistant. First one to be, right. to be branch. I mean, it's like, I have to work myself. And why I'm like that, I don't know. Uh, and my dad is, is quite the worker where it's 100%, 110. You always give 110. Still trying to figure out why I, why I am so driven in that way that I have to be the first of everyone to do anything, you know? Um, and that's a lot of pressure to put on oneself. I, when I was in yoga teacher training, I, I had this um, lady next to me, uh, one of my dear, dear friends. And she said to me one day, I, would, I was stressed out about a test and she looked at me and she was like, I'm good with the C. And I was like, oh my God, if I was to get a C, I mean, what difference does it make? You're teaching yoga. You can graduate with a C or you can graduate with an A. I blew my test so bad that I didn't even want to turn it in because I'd lost my job that morning. Right? Yeah. And you're still a fabulous yoga instructor. Like, what difference does it make if I get 100 on the test? But there's something internally that says that if I don't get 100 on my test, I'm not worth anything. And, and I don't, again, I, I you know, I, I come from parents who did not, mediocre was not okay. You are smart and you're intelligent. And if you put your mind to it and you focus, you can do this. And it's expected of you. So as an adult, now I'm expecting it of myself. And of course, my mom and dad are probably going to hear this. And they're going to be like, oh, sure, blame your parents. Well, well you know. The fact of the matter is. Who else am I going to blame? This is a mean dog. Yeah. It's the people who trained us. Oh, if that's right? a good dog. Yeah. It's the, you know, so yes. we, how can you not? How be, can you not? Because that's the one thing about recovery is, in, and because we have to look at that stuff, you know, and I have to be real clear that it is not a blame thing. It is not putting it there. It's, it's not. Just, this yeah. is the way it, it was. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, and why? I got a lot of that in my perfectionism from my dad. Yes. He didn't put it on me. No. But I still got it. But you got it, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, my, my dad is the same way. My dad is a perfectionist. And it has to all be right. And everything has to be. Yeah, so why as an adult? My dad is. I just, for some reason, I felt that I needed to be in order to earn his approval. 
And I have his approval no matter what. Of course. You know? that, that's, my dad's the that. same way. It doesn't matter how many times I screw up in life. My dad is always the first one and my mom. They both are always the first ones to put their arms around me and say, okay, you screwed up, learn your lesson, and move on. Right, yeah. But still, it's we that. Get, we, we, yeah, it's that, that level that. of. And, and I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, how can anyone be okay with a C? Mm-hmm. Like, who? And, and that is when things started. Loser. Yeah, like <laughs> a C. She's one of the best yoga instructors I've ever taken a class from. It didn't matter if she got a C. She wasn't going to stress herself out over that. And I, I was jealous. I was super jealous that she was okay mm-hmm. with having a C because I was not okay with having a C. I needed A's. I needed all A's. I need perfect attendance. I was perfect attendance for 500 hours. Now, what difference does it make if I missed a class? I don't know. But when I graduated from yoga school, I could say, and I was the only one that could say this, I was there in school for all 500 hours. What difference does it make? I don't know. None. But in my own heart of hearts, I know that when I say I'm a 500-hour yoga instructor, I was in school, in present for all 500 hours. It didn't matter how I felt. It didn't matter if I was sick. It didn't matter. I showed up for myself for those 500 hours. Um, you know, so I was out in Arizona, and then Bob's dad got sick, and we came back to Kentucky. Uh, we had only been dating for three years, but I, I really loved him, and I knew that we were going to be. I knew we were going to be great partners. When you can pack up, I heard and you move, say that too. Like at this reference, how old you were in your twenties? I was yeah. at this point twenty. Yeah, you say we were only with them for three years. You know? but that's only, like that's a long time. It, yeah, <laughs> but back then, I mean, it was like I didn't know. You know, I mean, go, moving to Arizona was an easy decision with them. I wanted to see what was going to happen and what adventures, what was going to happen. I mean, we we really from whoa Ooh, from man, uh, the first me. day. Yep. Nope. I, I thought you were going to the floor. Oh, done <laughs> <laughs> and done. No. Uh, I have my feet on blocks because uh, this chair is, Yeah. Uh, my feet are so short that to sit down, it pulls my hip flexors and it kills me. So I put my feet up on blocks. Learn that in yoga teacher training. Um, yeah, no. I, so moving out moving there. Moving out there was easy. Moving back easy. home was a regression. Was hard. No, and I use the whole term home loosely because he's from Ohio. He grew up in Ohio. So he had to be closer to his parents. His father had a stroke, so it put his dad in a wheelchair. His mom was already in a wheelchair because of the polio. Wow. And he has a lot on his plate because he's an only child mm. and very close to both, you know, really, really super close to his mom. And, and, and he was, I can still remember him being like, I've got to go back. And I, I just sat there and cried and was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, and, and for me, it's like, I have these wings and my mom and dad, they don't need me for anything. Like they missed me and then I would go home and see them. But I had like this freedom of, and, and it was a hard decision because Bob didn't have that freedom. He had to come home. His mother could not have done it without him. And he was well, not. always had the other decision and it's pretty and I had to make that him, decision. Do I have to come back and do that? You do I have to come back and take? Yeah, and that's what he said. Throw him to the wolves. Well, yeah, but Bob would never do that because right. he was. Yeah. 
Some people will. That's what happens when you're dating a mama's boy. Yeah, and, and not just, I shouldn't say it like that, but he's, he really, he always took care of his mother. Right. I mean, he grew up taking care of his mother. It, it's very, it was a it's unique. An honorable thing to do. It was a very unique relationship that he had with his mom. It really was. I mean, and, and like I said, he had two older brothers that both passed away. So he was the third of, um, you know, three boys that he was, he, he calls himself the yeah, sole so survivor. So you he was an only child, but he was an only child at this point. He, really he was only child, child at this point. Yes. Child, yes. Right? So there was no way. And, and I, yeah. And I knew that his mother was always going to come first. And, and I, and I, and I wasn't wanting to hold him back. I knew what he had to do. It was my decision of, do I stay out here in Arizona and kick tail and keep doing what I'm doing? Or do I move back to Kentucky? Um, and so that's how we ended up back here in Lexington. Yeah, something just ran across the thing. So do you really want to be with a man who would abandon his mother? Right? <laughs> right? I that was like, oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, and his poor mom. I mean, she was good because his father was the... the the wheels, sort of speak, of the operation. Sure, By this yeah. time, his mom wasn't driving anymore. She was pretty much permanently in a wheelchair. Um, and, and she could cook. She was still cooking and stuff like that. But his father was the capable one. That, and he had just retired. So he was the one that, you know, could get his mom in and out well, of the car. He had a stroke. And it paralyzed the right-hand side of his body. So he had no so, use of his right arm, no use of his right leg. He was in the Chillicothe VA so they center. Need, they both need assistance. Yeah. Exactly. Now you have. Now you've he gone can carry from. The yeah. For a while. And, and Bob, Bob used to say all the time, they went from uh, two good legs and, and four good arms <laughs> to three good legs and three good or one good leg and three good arms. You know, I mean, his mom had no use of her legs. Um, and now his dad has only one leg that's working, and, and they're both in a wheelchair, and it was a big, you know, when I tell you it was a mess, it was a huge mess. Mm -hmm. um, neither one of them can drive, now we've got to get, you know, home health, more home health in, and, and so he came back first, and then, I, and, and you know, took his mom, of course, how's she going to get to the hospital to even see his dad, right. you know, and they have family, but they're, you know, it's a very small family, and, and you know, uh, uh, so Bob came home first, and then he flew back to Arizona, and and when he came back, he was like, there's, there's no way. Like, I have to move closer um, just to, be, to go up there and help around the house. Just, you know, so I was like, okay. And but I had time to think. And I was like, okay, my sister just had a baby. My nephew, Diego, he was like uh, eight months at the time or six months at the time. And I was like, I'll make a deal with you. Um, the town Bob's from is about two hours and 15 minutes north of Lexington. So I said, I will move back with you. If we can go to Lexington, my sis, my younger sister, by way of Mexico through Moorhead from Vermont, <laughs> was here in Lexington, and she was married and and had my little nephew Diego. And I, I said, you know, I said, I, I, I already knew I wasn't having kids. Um, I never wanted to have my own kids. A lot of because of the the anxiety that I have about life in general. Like, why am I going to do that to myself? I already can barely. I mean, there's some days where I'm barely holding on to myself. Why am I going to go bring another life into this world that I'm also responsible? Like, I always knew I, I never wanted kids. Um, and so we, uh, but I thought it would be great to be able to watch my nephew grow up, you know, and, and be close and, mm -hmm. and 
you know, it was hard for my sister to, to be pregnant and me be 12, 1500 miles away, yeah. you know? So I, I said to Bob, let's go back. And so we came back and I transferred with the company I was working for, but I had to take a two-step demotion in order to do it. And I had to go back to being an, uh, a, not even an assistant manager, but a management assistant. Um, so I had to, I, I was back hourly and not salary. Um, and, but I still had my time served with them. I had three years in at this point. So I still had like, you know, relatively good vacation days and whatnot. And we came back to Kentucky. And, and I think that for me was the point in um, just things just got, for me, mentally, very under out of control. I, I, I mean, I was smoking like two, three packs a day. I where I totally excelled out in Phoenix and, and that group that I worked with out there. Um, now I was coming in as a three-year employee, but with a whole brand new group of people. And I didn't really culturally, like out in Arizona, it's such a different culture, like people-wise, I fit right in there. Whereas here in Kentucky, you know, in the corporate world, um, Whereas here in Kentucky, I didn't quite fit in. I didn't go to school at UK. I, I didn't, to be honest with you, and I know people are probably gonna hate me, but I didn't really care about basketball. Um, I just was, and I didn't know anything about horses. I didn't know anything about bourbon. I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I went to school in Moorhead, Kentucky. It was partying the whole time. I wasn't paying attention a bit to Lexington. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm working with people side by side that, are all graduates of UK and this is all like their tradition and going to Keeneland and, and you know, like, which is great. I mean, it's all part of the tradition and just all part of the history, know. but it's just not my history. Yep. And, and so, you know, I, I got made fun of because, uh, I'm very into recycling. I grew up recycling back in the early eighties. You know, and, and my bosses would make fun of me because we would have these events, these huge corporate events out at Keeneland, and, and they would have this tent, and they would have trash cans everywhere. And I just could not understand, like, why we didn't have recycle bins for the, the cans. I was like, that's, like, I mean, these huge 200, 300 people events. And, I mean, it was such a waste of throwing cans into trash bags to, to for Keeneland to throw out and so I would take a truck and go to all of my friends house that would let me use their stupid recycle bins and pull up out of Keeneland and I, and I was like everyone made fun of me it was like I so didn't belong oh here she comes here comes Miss Recycle, recycle yeah here comes the recycle lady yeah make sure that you're throwing your cans in the right bin because she's gonna get upset and it's like but it's the right thing to do. Like, I don't get you people. It's the right thing to do. It literally just took me an hour to drive around Lexington. And so here I am in my business suit, heels, you know, <laughs> nylons, business jacket, all dressed up in my corporate America outfit, in the back of a freaking pickup truck, pulling out old disgusting recycle bins and setting them up while everyone's standing there staring at me and laughing. Making fun of me. And making fun of me. And it was like, and I just didn't get it. Like I was on such a different vibration. I, a different plane. 
I was on a different vibration. Slices of planes. Yeah, I, it was such a different vibration. And then I had, you know, one of the guys that worked in the marketing department asked me if I would go out to an event with him. I always felt very respected out in Arizona. I always, uh, my, my, everybody I worked with was, it was very, I always felt like I was there and I was put in that position because of my work, not because of my looks. Not that I have these great looks, but you know, like, like I, I, or my energy or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I was very conservative. I always dressed very conservative. I grew up, you know, in the mud. So heels and business suits and stuff. I didn't wear the sleek, sexy, you know, business suits. I was in a pair of black pants and a black coat and I kept things very conservative because of the environment I was in. I felt like I needed to protect myself. Mm. Um, and by keeping myself covered up was very protective because I wanted to be known for my mind. I mean, for once in my life, I was working for a, a huge company, um, a multi-billion dollar company. And I really felt like I could move up and do something and change the world, you know, just even if it was bringing recycling bins out to Keelan, like just that little impact can have such a big impact on people. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I, I had this marketing manager that asked me if I wanted to go to this golf scramble. And I was like, oh my God, like internally, I'm like, oh my God, here I am a new employee in a new region and I want to move up and I want to get promoted. And, and you know, uh, I, I, I want to I set a good impression because of course I've got to be the best at everything I do. And, and I, I, I gotta, I'm going to do it. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go. So we were we were not sponsoring the golf scramble, but we were sponsoring like a cart where we drove around and gave out like um, uh, beer, soda, and candy and chips to all the people, and yep. they were all accounts, and we would you know talk to them and network. It's all jelly beaning and networking and meeting people and mm -hmm. connecting, which I loved. I mean, that was what I loved to do was the connect the human connection, and. Um, uh, he picked me up and we were driving out there and I was like, man, thank you so much for asking me. Like, I'm so honored. This is so awesome. I never met him before. And the exact words out of his mouth was, oh, I picked you because I need some eye candy. And I mean, I was like, what? The whole rest of my day was shot hmm. because I was asked, you know what I'm saying? Like I just being a woman here in Kentucky in corp in the business world that I was in, was very degrading. I felt degraded all the time. And, and I was finally, I, 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 you know, I put it aside and it was whatever. Like, you want me to be your eye candy? Just stay away from me. I don't need you. I don't need your help. I don't, I don't need anybody. I got myself and I am resilient and I rely and yada yada. So I moved up, became an assistant manager. And that is about when I really started to drink card. <laughs> And it wasn't every day, uh, but when I drank, I drank. And I would go from zero to 200, like, quick. Um, weekends, I mean, Monday through Saturday, it was like two, three, five, six glasses of wine pass out. By the time I was 32, 33, I mean, I was still very functional. I was still getting up every morning and... 5.30, 6 o'clock and, and getting my stuff on and, and um, then on, you know, Friday nights and the Saturdays I didn't work. 
and the Sundays I didn't work. I mean, it was a bottle of Jägermeister here and uh, tequila, you know, a bottle of tequila here and there. And it was like started with one and then two. And then the next thing I know, I'm drinking moonshine and, and it, it got really ridiculous. Um, and I knew that I was starting to have a problem with it uh, because when I wasn't drinking, I was having severe panic attacks. So I went to my doctor. And of course, you know, the doctor's like, how many drinks do you drink? And like, does anyone answer that question honestly? Nobody. Nobody. No, I'm not going to tell my doctor, well, I had 14 shots of tequila Sunday night. Yeah, I'm not really doing any more about a fifth a day. Yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. I'm good. Like, oh, it's only four bottles of wine and a 24-pack of beer. I have a couple Yeah. Oh, do you smoke marijuana? Well, I can't say yes to that because if I say yes, then it's on record. And then my health insurance, because who knows? It's, you know, through somebody else. You know, who knows? Do you, no. uh, you, know, yeah. you shoot up? You do no, you no, do you, you no. Have, yeah, you, exactly. You're going to give the same Exactly. Call, Are right? you ever going to be honest with your doctor? So, of course, so now this is where things got really crazy. By the time I was like 35, 34, 35, 36, it's all such a blur. I was literally drinking to, to, so I could fall asleep at night. And then getting up in the morning and taking a cocktail of, um, well, I was on antidepressants and then I was on, I had Valiums. That was the best. 37 years old and I've got Valiums. And according to my doctor, I was to carry them around with me and take them just in case I felt a panic attack come on. So when do you feel a panic attack coming on? When your heart starts to beat fast. So it would be, my heart would start to beat fast because life comes at you or I'm sitting at my desk and an employee quits, or I'm sitting at my desk and I'm working in the auto industry, so everything's out of control. One of my employees would get in a car accident, or a customer comes in and he's pissed off, or she's pissed off, or, so my heart's always beating fast because I'm working in a very fast-paced, high-energy world, and then I would pop a Valium. Yeah, and not only benzos. Yeah, and not only that, but then it was like, well, put it underneath your tongue and, and you know, take it sublingually so it melts down and it'll, well, hell. Then I was like queen of the world. So I'm taking antidepressants to keep my head straight. I'm taking Valiums. My insurance is paying for them, so it costs me absolutely nothing. My doctor just wants me out of her office, so she's more than willing to prescribe them to me as many as I wanted. And then when I'm not taking those two things during the day, I'm going home and I'm drinking at night. And this, half, this went on about age 35, 36, 37. And then it got really bad. And then the depression started because it's a vicious cycle. You're, it's a vicious cycle. And there's, I didn't, by this time, I had lost complete control of who I was. And I'm getting up every day and going to work this job that I can't stand. Some days was just like I would be driving to work and I would be praying. And this is horrible to say out loud. I would be praying that somebody would rear-end me so I could go to the hospital and not go to work. And then it started to come to the... I mean, I was exhausted. I was mentally exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted. I was energetically exhausted. I had... I, I didn't know what to do. But I sure as hell wasn't going to call myself an alcoholic. And I was not going to call myself a drug addict because... My doctor gave them to me. And my insurance company was paying for them. So, I mean, that, of course, you're not a drug addict when that happens. So, uh, you you look at that, you take an anti anxiety pill in the value of the benzos. The benzos are just awful. Yeah. It's just freaking awful. 
you said you were on antidepressants. Antidepressants, so like, yeah. So well, I got this. I take this. So I'm going hot. I take this anti-anxiety, yeah. and then I'm drinking a depressant. And I'm drinking a depressant. Yeah, exactly. And I can't figure out why I can't get out of bed, and I want to. Like, My very favorite thing is is when an alcoholic comes to me, and they're like, "Man, I am just depressed. Depressed." Yeah. Like, are consuming mass quantities of depressant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like your dog, and it's crazy because, and this is where things really started to take a turn for me. You know, I mean, I, I knew what I needed to do, and and I knew that. I mean, I was running, I was riding a bike, I was trying to do everything I could. So on the outside, it looked like I was okay. But on the inside, I was crumbling into nothing. And so I had lost all this weight. I was down to like 130, 140, which really isn't, a, I mean, it's probably where I need to be to be healthy, but who knows. Um, I, I, I was such, looking back now, I have no idea who I was. I don't, I don't know who I was. I don't know what I was doing. I, I know I was making a ton of money. I was showing up for something that I absolutely hated, but I was making so much money it wasn't even fun. I mean, I didn't need anything, nothing. I mean, we bought our house and I had my Jeep and, and poor Bob is like in the background the whole time, like probably losing his mind because, you know, his, his he, you know, I, I, he wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't paying attention to me, but you know. He was a huge support system and was always there for me, but he was so preoccupied with what was going on with his mom and dad that it was like his focus was somewhere else too. Um, but there were times where, you know, he would just lay in bed at night and just hold me. And, and I would just lay there and cry and be like, I don't want to get up tomorrow. Like, I don't want to get up. And he, but what do you do? How do you make somebody change it? You can't. And he would be like, you know, just, he would send me, New jobs, and we knew that I had to get out of this job. We knew that job was really, I mean, it was 60, 65, 70 hours a week. I was responsible for a lot of stuff and a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. And it would have been one thing if um, I felt respected, but I didn't. I felt so disrespected in that whole place. I never was going any farther than where I was. They put me out, well, I went out to Winchester and was working out there. Here's another little trick to the trade that I, I will mention. Um, during the whole I-75 uh, pill running, when people were going to Florida and picking up their prescription pills and coming back to Kentucky, well, they needed transportation. That was my job. So I was getting it from one end that, you know, oh, this is great. As long as, you know, they qualify, they can get a car and they can take it down there. Then on the other end, I have the cops calling me and telling me that there's a customer dead in my car because mm -hmm. they overdosed on their way back to Florida. So things got really sketchy there. That's when things, that's when things got really, really bad. Finally, it stopped. And there was nothing I could do. I mean, how do you stop it? You can't. You know what people are doing. People aren't going to Florida for two-day funerals. You know, I mean, and it was crazy because everyone was like coming in. And I was on the opposite end. And I was watching these people come in as normal human beings, quote unquote, at one point. And they were our customers because they come in once a month, rent their car for two days to go to Florida, come on back. And then they come back and then the next month and the next month. And I was literally seeing people deteriorate in front of my own eyes, knowing that 
I, as, as a soul and a human being, and enabling people to do this for the name of the almighty dollar, but on the flip side of it, what do you do? I can't walk away because that was all I knew, you know? And by this time, I'm 35-year-old, washed-up, middle-aged, <laughs> you know? Stuck. Stuck. I was stuck. I was we stuck. Are. Well, I thought I was. Yeah. I totally thought I was. Um, and so it was at the point and now. if you think you're stuck, you are. You are. <laughs> exactly. And, and I was. And so then all of a sudden it was like, I just knew I couldn't go into work some days. Um, I, 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 I just was, I, that's when I started to call in and I was sick. And then all of a sudden, um, physically, because they say your energetic body you were talking about this before with the universe. I may, I say this all the time. Your energetic body like taps on you and says, "Hey, something's not right here. Something's not right here. Knock, knock, knock. I'm gonna. It's gonna be a strain in your knee, or it's gonna be a, a bump that shows up in your in your um, ankle, or it's gonna be a, a weird crick in your in your knee." And and you know your energetic body starts to talk to you through your physical body. When I was 34 years old, I was diagnosed with skin cancer. Um, I had to have surgery on my face, and I had to, and that was, I mean, another thing, I had to have my insurance through all of that, so that was two years of um, dealing with all that, so that was another kind of punch in the face from the universe, literally punch in the face, <laughs> literally. And you're stuck. Yeah, right? I need well, because you need your health insurance, right? I mean, yeah. and then you have your co-pays, and you have everything else, to pay on top of it and then I had to have laser surgery because my face was all you know I mean your face doesn't as, as wonderful as my surgeon was that did it I had 18 stitches going up through the side of my face so I had to be able to pay for all that because I wanted my face to be back to somewhat normal because here I am I've always you know the one thing people have always said to me my whole life is you have you have fire in your eyes and a beautiful smile and that's who I was and all of a sudden my smile was all jacked up so I had to have that fixed and and uh, so that was when I was 36, when I, no, 34. When I was 35, I had a cyst removed off of my left breast that thankfully um, was not cancerous, but it was really disgusting and it was huge and it was this like huge. Uh, and you don't know that when you go into it. So. No, all I know is it felt like I had a sunburn on my boob. And it was really weird, and I was like, but like where, I mean, I wasn't topless, so I knew I wasn't sunburned, and then I went in, and literally they had to extract like an alien baby out of me. It was awful. Mm. Um, and, and so I had that done, and then, and then like eight months later, I had a, a cyst removed from underneath my arm, my right arm, um, and it was like maybe the size, it felt like the size of a pea, but it ended up being like the size of an edamame. I had to have surgery on that. And so my energetic body, my physical body were talking to me. And, and I know it was the stress and I know it was the anxiety. And I know it was the medication. I know it was the drinking. I was, I was literally falling apart. Um, but yeah, like you said, you're stuck. And then the best thing that ever happened to me was, this is the culmination of all of it. Listeners are probably so done with this. I went out on an outing on the lake. I won a, a 
most valuable player, most valuable employee award. They, we, they always had competitions for the company I worked in. It was branch against branch. And I was a branch manager for them. So whatever my branch did. So not only were they like driving the train with me and whipping me and whipping me, but, but then I had to feed that down to my 20-something-year-old employees that had just graduated college. I mean, it's just this big, yeah. Yeah, and, and so yeah, and yeah. trick you with competition. Yeah, so trick competition, yeah. man. Yeah, you gotta give be you good. A trip to the lake. And not only that, but if you, you gotta, will bust your ass. For, if you bust your ass for four months, three months, you're going to the lake for one day. Go to the hey. damn lake on my mm-hmm. own if I wanted to. But here mm-hmm. I'm going to. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I mean, it was like this lake. I had to be there. I mean, because they yeah, hire. Yeah. Competitive spirits, exactly, and I had to win, and that's who I am. I've got to be number one. I've got to be there. So I drove my poor employees were probably so glad when that competition was over. I mean, every morning I had a plan. I had a game plan. This is how we're going to do it. So we go out to the lake. We're not out there for 20 minutes. So there's two boats. There's the drinking boat for everybody that's drinking, and then there's the boat for people. They were responsible there, the people that... um, needed to uh that wanted to like water tube water ski and stuff like that so if you were going to do that you weren't you you had to go onto that boat first if you went onto the drinking boat you were not allowed onto the water ski boat right because you on bad things only happen when you're drunk so they thought so like well, six of us the chances yeah it. yeah right <laughs> actually if i was drunk i probably would have had uh better uh, I would have had a bit better, not survival rate, because I survived it, but I probably would have um, come out a lot less injured as what I did. So, you know, like 90% of the people go to the drinking boat, because that's what everybody does in corporate America. You have happy hours three times a week, and everyone gets together, and then you take your accounts out, and then your boss takes you out. And, and even though we worked for uh, auto industry, where drinking and driving was illegal, as long as you got a cab, it was okay. And, and you know, I mean, it was just very, it was party, 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 party. So we go out to the lake and I was actually very responsible and I was like, no, I'm not gonna drink, which is surprising because I usually am the one that goes out there, but I wanted to go water tubing. I had never been water tubing, I wanted to go. And so I get on the back of the water tube. We weren't even there 20, 25 minutes, first run. First run, well, my boss is as competitive as I am. And so, of course, you know, the whole point of getting people on a water tube is to fly down the lake and knock them off the water tube, bounce them off until he met me. And there was no bouncing me off. It was not coming off that tube. So what do you do? You speed up and you go faster. Mm -hmm. And then you don't come off the tube because I was holding on for dear life. So what do you do? You cut back into your own wake. And he came back through and he cut into the wake and when he came around and he cut into the wake and of course the, the, the boat's like and we hit that wake and it flipped the tube up and the girl that was next to me let go. She was on the left and we were flipped up to the right and the girl that was next to me fell off and went down into the water like no big deal. Well, I'm on the high side of the tube and it comes up, up, up like, like, like you said, the universe has a way of knocking on your door and then hitting you in the face with a brick to tell you that your life is not going in the direction you need it to go. Yeah, if you won't so I'm answer it. I didn't answer it. I wasn't answering it for years. I wasn't answering it. I was laying in bed being miserable like, and then faking it when I went to work. So I let go of this tube and, and all I can remember is preparing myself for instant death. 
And I could see the, I mean, cause I came up off there in the trajectory, you know, like, and at the speed of whatever the boat was going, which I have no idea. And so I flew across the lake. I mean, the boat ended up way over there, like three streets over. And I was way over there here on the other side of the lake. I was tumbling, you know, because of course I'm flying through the air. It's like that. They say that you have an out-of-body experience, you know, like when tragedy and trauma happen. Um, and so I could see myself flying through the air. And I kept thinking to myself, just brace yourself for impact. I knew I was going to hit the water. But I didn't know how because I, was, I couldn't straighten myself out. Uh, and I mean, it was maybe three seconds. But it seems like in my mind, still to this day, it seems like it was forever. It I was floating was through the air. Motion kind of thing. Yeah, time. There was no time there. It, it gave me time to think, is what it did. And so I'm floating and floating, and I came down. And when I came down, I landed upside down, and my uh, right ear, the right side of my cervical spine, my right shoulder, my right humerus bone, my right elbow, and like all of my ribs on the right side took the impact. I was upside down when I landed. So this upper right quadrant took the impact. So I come up out of the water and I- and It was you, just water. And I know that's different because you can hit water it like concrete. It was just water. water. I just want to make sure. I yeah. Think. No, but it felt like I hit a concrete wall. Yeah. Um, the damage I did to myself, the orthopedic surgeon said um, that it was uh, the equivalent of driving a car 95 miles an hour into a brick wall. I mean, it just, I hit it. I, I, and when I came down, I hit the water, because uh, we were way out in the middle of the lake. But I came up, you know, I, I didn't freak out. It was really weird, because I, I was very calm when I came up out of the water. I wasn't afraid of drowning. I, it was like, I couldn't believe I was alive, to be honest with you. I, I had a life vest on, and so I came up, and I remember I came up, and I buoyant out of the water, and I'm sitting there. And I was like, and it knocked the wind out of me. I mean, it knocked the freaking wind right out of me. And so I'm like trying to take a breath, but not inhale that water. And, and thankfully, back when I was a child, we were in swimming lessons and life, you know, saving course. So I knew automatically to not freak out. Like I didn't, which is the exact opposite of my normal personality. Usually I'm fight or flight all the way. Uh, but I didn't. I was very calm. And then I looked, like it was weird because Come when I... What? Do you have a life jacket on? Yeah, I had a life jacket on. Um, I was I smart. I always wore a helmet when I was on a mo back of a motorcycle and a life jacket because if something bad's gonna happen, it's gonna happen to me. <laughs> it's always my my philosophy. So I came up out of the water and like was buoyant with the life jacket, but I couldn't. Like I said, I couldn't really breathe because of the impact. Um, I knew I had. You know, I just knew that I was gonna be hurting for certain. But when I hit the water, it was a very weird feeling. I thought my arm ripped off because of the way I hit the water. And when I hit it and the impact of it, it was like my shoulder and all the feeling the whole way down my hand was gone. I felt it like I literally, the way it felt was my arm was no longer attached to me. I thought my arm had completely come off. So I came up and I'm taking a couple breaths and I'm literally, mind you, my boss is coming back around in the boat, you know, and he has no idea. I mean, all they did was see me hit the water upside down. He doesn't know what's going on. And I'm bracing myself to look over to the right and there not be an arm there because I had no feeling, nothing. There was nothing. It was just dead. And I looked over 
and my arm was still attached, but my elbow was like rolled forward and my hand was rolled back and it was all dislocated. Like my shoulder, the head of the arm was dis dislocated in the shoulder girdle and my humerus bone was cracked in half, um, my upper arm bone. And I tore the four muscles that make up the rotator cuff were completely detached. So my arm was just like a dead body, you know, like the, when you see a dead body in a movie and it's just like floating in the water. I mean, I had nothing. And I looked and was like, oh my God. Well, then my next thought was, holy moly, like I'm at a work event. They're gonna drug test me and I smoke weed. Oh, and really? You thought about that? What? You, that comes Oh, out. God, yeah. I mean, because all of a sudden, I mean, how am I going to pay for this? They're not going to pay for it because they're going to say I was high, even though I wasn't high, but they're going to say I was yeah. because I smoked weed on the weekends and I wasn't going to pass a drug test. Right. I mean, it was like, I stayed so calm. It's so cool and so collected. It's like, just don't freak out. I'm trying not to cry. And so I, the boat's coming back. The boat's coming back. So I literally take my left hand, and I reach over and I grab my right wrist and I take my arm and I like jumped myself like up, not really jumped, but like pulled myself up in the life jacket and snapped my arm back in place. The, 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 the boat floats back over and he comes to get me and I'm literally like this and I can't move my arm. I mean, it was stuck. But it wasn't dislocated, so I knew I wasn't going to go to the emergency room. I knew I could just get my... And when I tell you, I packed so much emotion and so much energy into the deepest depths of my soul. And my boss is like, oh my God, you know, of course. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I was like, I think I just maybe sprained my elbow or something. Like, it's just weird, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. So I get, I take my hand and I stick it up in my life jacket. One of the girls that was on the boat was like, oh my God, you know, and everyone was freaking out. And I'm like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm trying not to cry. And I'm like, no, no, I promise. Of course, you're wet and everything else. So I climb up in the boat and I climb up to the front of the boat and I put my sunglasses on really fast. And so my boss is like, are you, and you know, he's, he's, you know, a toughy, tough kind of guy. And he's like, are you sure you're okay? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Cause I needed to detract him. I needed to sit and think sure. of how I'm going to get myself out of this. So we went out, like I didn't go back out, but like four or five more times. And meanwhile, I have no idea what's wrong with my arm. I text Bob and I'm like, dude, I jacked my arm up. You're going to have to meet me at the emergency room. And he was like down there. And I was like, no, I'm going to wait till I get back. I stayed out at that lake for seven hours. Well, nobody had ibuprofen. So how was I going to numb my pain? Drop me off at the drinking boat. So I went over and got on the drinking boat and had me a couple beers uh, and floated. I, I went back out into the water and I floated in my life vest because my hand I had tucked up in here. So nobody could see that it was not working. Nobody really, I just played it off. One of the girls came up to me and she was like, you're really hurting, aren't you? The girl that held me out of the water and I was like, girl, I was like, when we get back, she knew I smoked weed. And I was like, when we get back, like, we're absolutely gonna have to go to the emergency room, like 100%. And so we did. Uh, I faked it all day long, I acted like I was fine and I went back. Her boyfriend or her husband came and picked us up, took us to the emergency room. Meanwhile, Bob's out at the baseball field, uh, the Legends field. He was at a workout in there. I mean, we were both working in corporate America where they spend all kinds of money on you partying and making things great. 
So he was out there and, and I was like, okay, I'm going to the emergency room. Like, you're gonna just have to pick me up later. Uh, and come to find out, it took two days to get all the results back, but yeah, I was pretty badly damaged. I showed up for work the next day hmm. and I still could not move my arm. I mean, it was, it was stuck. I, I, I had no muscles to move it. Um, and so I, I, it was so resourceful. I stacked up all my stuff. Well, of course they gave me a whole bunch of painkillers. So now I got the antidepressants, I got the Valiums, I got the painkillers and I got the alcohol. Um, and so I went back to work the next day and I was like, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen. And, and hi. And we, um, the doctors, this was on a Friday, no Thursday, uh, Friday afternoon, we got all the results back and my humerus bone was literally cracked in half. And so I called my boss and was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, like my humerus bone is cracked in half. I was like, I can try to come into work. I left work early. I went in that morning. I left at like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, I, I don't know. And he was like, no, he was like, you know, we're going to have to file workers comp claim. Well, by this time it'd give me plenty of time to chug water. Like it was my job. I didn't smoke that much weed. I mean, it was like, you know, once in a, cause I was so drink, I was drinking way more than, so I would have passed the drug test. And they drug test me and I was fine. It just gave me enough time where it wasn't like you have to go to the emergency room and take a drug test now. Yeah. Drank a whole bunch of water, you know, all it's that. It's like a huge overthink. It's a huge I mean, it's overthink. It's a constant 30 but, day in your system thing. So right? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't how much water you drink. Right? You um, think. <laughs> I mean, but I ended up, it was fine. Saved you. It was fine. It was just did. like, I mean, and I probably hadn't even smoked in two or three weeks. And I'm surprised that you went to the emergency room and they didn't keep you if you had a broken bone. Well, that's right. a whole different story besides that. The emergency room that I went to, they diagnosed me with a frozen shoulder and a sprained shoulder. Yeah. Uh, I was there till like one o'clock in the morning and they sent me home with pain pills. Um, I mean, then, I've been, you know, but here's the thing, kid, they've been x-raying me and keeping me. Nobody read the Rex x-ray. There was not a radiologist on staff that night. So they didn't want to keep me there overnight. They, huh. they just sent me home telling me it was a sprained shoulder, quote unquote. Uh, it wasn't until I called my doctor, who's all part of the emergency room and every, you know, like the, the clinic that I went to, I called my doctor and she could see in the notes from the emergency room where they took the x-rays they just sent me home to get me out of there hmm. so she said let me have my radiologist read it the radiologist never read the report the well, radiologist, i'm not a radiologist either but i've looked at some x-rays of my broken bones yeah right you would think tell. you could tell <laughs> yeah and what i saw when nobody nobody looked at it like or not the radiologist but whoever Interesting. Yeah. they yeah. didn't get in until eight so o'clock in the morning so the emergency room doctor just sent me home i think honestly well here's the thing though here i am showing up in an emergency room drunk as a skunk because i've been drinking all day and i'm trying to tell the emergency room doctors that i wasn't drinking when the accident happened and this is in the middle of like everything, you know, like yeah, insanity. Yeah, I mean, it was they they brought me in and and, and manageability and insanity. And, right. So they sent me home, and yeah, I was I I not only did I go home well, that was a whole different story with the emergency room, and they ended up sending me a letter of apology. They waived all of my emergency room bills, which was workers' compensation, so it didn't matter anyways. Yeah, I wasn't paying the bills, but they did, uh, the president of the uh, hospital 
from his desk, signed by Penn, sent me a formal apology of the way the situation was handled. Yeah. But you know, on the on the flip side of it is it's like, I don't really blame them. Here I am coming in, complaining about, I'm drunk as a skunk, and you know, I mean, eh, my arm, I messed it all up, I messed up, so they did the x-rays, and they did... Yeah, it's really neither and hot and here. Yeah, and then they the just sent me home with what they thought it was, and then the next morning, finally, they, my, I, because I couldn't move it. They were like, don't let it get frozen, you have to keep moving it. So here I am trying to like move my arm and pull it out, pull all these exercises they gave me. I'm trying to do it and I'm like, this is all I had. I had nothing from here to here, nothing. So I called my doctor and my doctor got all the reports and, and then she said, well, let's, let's schedule you for the MRI, whatever it was. So I went down, I left work, I went down there and then she called me back. It was like 4.30 on a Friday afternoon and she was like, you done. You cannot go back to work. She's like, I don't even know how you were at work. Literally stacked up phone books, put my keyboard up here, and I stacked up a bunch of books and put my mouse here. Hmm. So I was still able to work. I just had to create yeah. the, you know, and, and that's what I said. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, again, I just really, I have a really powerful way of taking what hurts me and dumping it right into my deepest, darkest areas of my physical body. So that was a blessing though. Um, I was out of work for three months. And in that time, I found quiet. And I found silence. And I learned how to start taking care of myself holistically. Um, I had an amazing team of um, sports medicine doctors that they sent me to, because it's workers' comp, so. And, I went from not being able to use my arm to using my arm, like, I mean, literally, when I tell you the physical therapy part of it just blew my mind. I've never broken a bone in my life. So I'm like 36, and this is the first time I've ever broken a bone. I've never shredded a muscle. My leg, my foot, but you know, that's, you know, tweaks ligaments, stretch, overstretch ligaments, whatever. You deal with that as a, as a young adult, but never broken a bone. Um, never gone through anything like this. And so I was fascinated with the, the simple fact that these little exercises, and I started literally with my hands, with the physical therapist. Uh, well, first I had to wait for the bone to heal. That was eight weeks, so I was in a sling. My shoulder was completely frozen by the time you know I came out of that. Um, and it gave me three months I started with the painkillers for like three days and it was they were making me sick to my stomach. And I don't know, all of a sudden, because I didn't have to go to work and that noise was gone, the anxiety went away. I wasn't taking the Valiums every day. I wasn't, like all of a sudden, this downward spiral that I'd found myself in, there was like this clarity and sunshine where it was like, Hmm. Um, I wasn't laying in bed at night and having to drink to fall asleep because I didn't want to get up the next morning because it didn't matter. I had nowhere to go. I mean, all I was doing was chilling on my couch with a broken arm. I was like, this is the best thing that ever happened. Never wanted to break a bone so bad in my whole life. So I, um, I chilled out for the eight weeks and then I did the physical therapy and that was really painful. And, 
and all of that good stuff. And then my, you know, they, they test everything based on like radius and yeah. stuff like that, like whatever it is. Um, and the physical therapist came in one day and they were testing it and I had enough of a rotation that the insurance company was done with me and workers comp was done with me that I had enough. Um, it wasn't enough for me, but I don't really think it was really that my arm was still bad. It was an, I think I had so much stored energy cause I really stored a ton of energy that day. Um, it was, it was so weird. Uh, and, and I never really worked it out. And so I came home, you know, I asked the physical therapist, well, what next? Because my left arm is straight and it works. And at this time my right arm was like this and it was working a little bit, but it was still really weird and I had cramps, you know, and, and it's just hard to put those muscles back together. And I mean, you just come off of a traumatic yeah, injury. Uh, yeah, thank God I didn't have to have surgery. The, 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 the doctors that I worked with, he was a surgeon, they sent me to a surgeon, but he really, the way the break was so clean and I was like, of course it's clean. I mean, if anyone's gonna break a boat perfectly, it's gonna be this girl, no. you know? Um, and so we, you know, I mean, I had to change my diet a little bit and it was a lot of um, Greek yogurt and hemp seeds and, and that's when, you know, he gave me a whole bunch of advice on how to get that bone to fuse back together in its most holistic form. And this is the first time I ever worked with somebody about like fixing something where it wasn't just like a quick in and out doctor visit as an adult. You know, you go into the doctor and it's like, okay, what's wrong with you? What am I doing? Okay, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, blah, blah, blah. And you're, and you're done. And this guy actually took a lot of time with me. So it started the wheels turning, and so I started to research like plant-based, um, you know, medicine, you know, medicine, plants as medicine, and started to really look into this whole like holistic life that I had heard so much about. But I mean, I was way too cool for that because I was in corporate America making all this money. I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to be vegetarian. <laughs> you know, Why would you do that? Yeah, right? Why would I do that? There was nothing wrong with you. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy, like, looking back what my mindset was, but it was. And so I did ask the physical therapist. I was like, you know, what can I do? Because I want to keep the, I want to be able to have my, my movement back to full capacity. And I really want, you know, I want to be able to um, not do headstands and handstands. That's never been part of my practice because of my shoulder. I can't physically do that. I mean, I'll never, I, I shouldn't say I'd never be able to. I'd have to put a lot of work into it, though. Um, but I wanted to be able to ride my bike. I wanted to be able to hike. You know, riding my bike at that time was my one thing that was keeping me sane. Um, I could get on my mountain bike and I could just go. And it was like I had the control most of the time. Uh, but you know, it was that one thing that really, that's where I could find a lot of clarity and I could think a lot and, and it was low impact. So it wasn't hurting my knees. It wasn't hurting my ankles like running was. And so his advice to me was I would go to a gentle, slow yoga class. And I laughed in his face <laughs> and I said, you, you want me to go to a yoga class? Like, no way. Here I am drinking you know, till I black out some days and popping volumes like it's my job and, and I can't sleep and anxiety and depression. And by this time, suicide had even started to creep up some days because it, like, it was just getting tough. There are times where like you hurt so bad emotionally that you just wanted to stop. And I just wanted it to stop. I wanted to wake up in the morning and I wanted to feel good about what I was doing and feel good about who I was. 
And it was like, I didn't, but I didn't want to start all over again, you know, when I was going to have to start all over again. And so this opportunity gave me that chance to start all over again and, and find a different way to live my life. Uh, because I didn't have a choice. I had to start all over again. The universe took me from wherever I was and knocked me right down on my ass and was like, nope, you're doing this all over again. And I had to learn to use my arm over again. And I had to learn to eat correctly. And, and I had to learn to, to ride a bike all over again. I had to learn to shower. I had to learn to put my makeup on. I mean, I had to relearn to use my right hand for everything because it, there was nothing left there. And so I went into a yoga class in a gym because that to me felt very safe. Um, and, and it was actually my husband that had been telling me about this yoga class. He was going to it at the time. Hmm. Uh, he had started about maybe four or five months before I did, before the accident happened. I couldn't do the yoga until I was three months out. Um, I had to be cleared completely and everything else, you know, from workers' comp had to be done with me before I could move on to any other extracurricular activities. So he kept saying, I wish you'd come to this yoga class. I wish you'd come to this yoga class. And I was like, no, I'm not doing yoga. Like, yeah, you know, I, no, it's not for me. I'm loud, I'm overweight. I mean, even though I was watching my weight, I've, you know, I've been, I've been heavy for the last 10 years. I'm overweight, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing a yoga class. Like, they're gonna laugh at me. He was like, it's in the gym, it's fine. Because <laughs> yeah. gym yoga is a little bit different than studio yoga. Um, you know, when you're in a class of 50 people, it's a whole lot different than when you're in a class of four or six. And the teacher had no idea who I was. You know, and it's, there's so many people that come in and out of it. It's not really a community. Some people are in there for the community, but you know, I felt very safe in it. I could walk in, take the class, and nobody was ever going to see me again. It was dark. It was in the corner. You know, I was hidden in the corner. And so we took his first class, and I don't know what the hell happened, but it was like big red truck. And I was on my way home after class, and it was a wonderful class, and it was kind of a flow class. But the lady that taught it, who, by the way, ended up getting fired later on from the gym that we were at because she showed up to work drunk. Hmm weird that it like comes full circle uh and, and we always thought there was something a little off about her apparently it happened a few times and finally it became a problem um but i never i mean I, I knew she was always a little bit off but really i thought she was just quirky i didn't realize she was drunk but she was amazing and even though i had never done it before and even though i had never i never had anyone teach me how to breathe it, it was like all these panic attacks that I was having for years and nobody ever taught me how to breathe. Nope. That's what's wrong with our medical system. I was prescribed Valiums before I was prescribed deep breath work. Yeah. Nobody said this is how you're, I mean I know my lungs are here but I didn't realize my ribs, rib cage expanded. I didn't realize that the back of my heart needed oxygen. I didn't realize that there was, you know, this opening in the diaphragms and how it all worked. I mean, how do you know? And then I think back to like when I was running. Well, no wonder why I was always being winded when I was running. I didn't know how to breathe. And I was smoking cigarettes at the same time. So, yeah. So all of a sudden for one hour, I had a chance to breathe. And I had a chance to just 
I don't know. I don't know what it was. I, don't know what I, it is had... I was touched with my very first practice too. And yeah. I, you know, I mean, the only way I can even put anything to it is in hindsight because huh. at the time, all I knew was, hmm, yeah. that was different. That and was I liked weird. It and yeah. I think. For me, it was driving home. I think I liked it. Because it was still dark in there. I mean, it was still very dark in the gym. Like they, they would turn off, all, not all the lights, but it was very dim lighted in there. And so we did that class. It was like an hour, an hour and a half or whatever it was. And we got done and my husband was like, well, did you like it? And he really wanted me because he had been, he was managing his own anxiety with his mom and dad and everything going on in his world. He was going to yoga and he wasn't admitting it because of course he's a country boy from Ohio. He wasn't admitting it, like how, but he kept saying to me, like, I really think you would enjoy it. I really think you would enjoy it. You, you know, but he, again, you can't force people to do something yeah. they don't want to do. So I, you know, I started to practice and I started to go to the gym and I loved this one instructor. And unfortunately she got fired and nobody would ever tell me what her last name was. So I have no idea whatever happened to her. And it breaks my heart because I have no way to even thank her for what she, she has no idea the impact that she made on my life in maybe 10, 15 classes. All of a sudden I look forward to Mondays because Mondays were the days that she taught. And I, even though I had to go to work in the morning, it was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to me on Monday mornings because I get to go sit on my yoga mat Monday afternoon, you know? And I, after the first class, it was really driving home where there was just this clarity and quiet and calm that I hadn't had in a really long time. I mean, it just, I slept so good that night. My body felt like it was, like I was lying on a floaty in the water and just, I mean, I was just, whatever it was, whatever I opened, spaces I opened, released. I mean, there's, there's so much that goes into a really well-designed yoga class. And I know you know that. Um, where we're not just doing the asana portion, you know, the poses, and, and we're not just, you know, bah, 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 you know, going from one, but we're really feeling into who we are, and we're given that space. It's all about giving space, and I think that's what she did. She gave me the space to let my thoughts run until they couldn't run anymore. I was tired. I was beat up, and I just needed, I just needed a rest. And so we did it for about a year at the gym and I really just fell in love with it. I kept going back and of course I'm an, I'm an addict. I get addicted to everything I do. If it feels good, I'm going to go back and I'm going to keep going back and I'm going to go back and then I'm a perfectionist and I'm competitive and then it's like, okay, so I'm going to take all this together and I looked at my husband one day and was like, do you think it would be crazy if I went and got certified to teach yoga? And I wanted to teach yoga because I wanted to be able to make people experience what I was experiencing. But I also knew that the people of my past, up until now I'm 30, end of 36, getting ready to turn 37. So this was only like four, no, five, six years ago. And I'm still so new to the yoga world. Um, and I, I needed to... I needed, I needed to, to understand what was going on. I, I wanted more. I wanted to understand because I have that analytical mind. And I, I, want, I wanted to understand why is it that 
When I do this with my right arm and I close my eyes, my right shoulder feels like it's 10 times bigger than my left shoulder. Why is it when I hold my left leg in this one position, whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, and I can hold it there and then bring it back, why does it feel so much lighter than my right one does now? Why is it when I cross my arms one way, it's fine, but when I try to cross my arms the same way in the exact opposite direction, I can't do it. And so it was like all these weird things in my mind. I was so curious. And so I, at the time, went to Lexington Healing Arts. I got my 200 hour at Lexington Healing Arts here in Lexington um, under the program director of Amanda McMain. And I love Lexington Healing Arts, but they, what did it for me was Amanda McMain um, and her program and her teaching. I almost didn't go the first day. I almost just voided my deposit. I was still working full time. Uh, I sat out in the parking lot and I just was scared to death. I didn't know anything. I, all I knew about yoga was that I felt good. And the, you know, like, you know, they would say the pose names in Sanskrit and I was like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Like, just, um, just tell me what you want me to do with my body. Make me feel better. Just make me feel better. Um, and I walked into school that first day and I can still remember sitting there and I was just ready to throw up all over myself because I didn't know anyone. I'm back to, you know, being that child where I don't know anyone and I'm showing up at the birthday party and I have this fear that I'm not going to fit in and nobody's going to like me and, and everyone's going to call me out for being the fraud that I was showing up in yoga teacher training when I had only practiced yoga for a year. And, and, I, and I didn't know who BKS Edgar was, and I didn't know who, that there was yoga sutras. I, didn't, I mean, I knew nothing, I knew nothing. And that very first day, and, and Amanda walked in and, and she sat down and it was like instant, like her voice, I just knew I was where I needed to be. The universe put me exactly where I needed to be. And I decided that day that I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to learning, practicing, and teaching yoga on and off the mat, that, that that was where it was at. And so literally within, I don't know, two or three months of my yoga teacher training, I, I feel for people who, are, who have addiction and they keep going back, like they can't, I, I don't, I, for me, I don't get that. I don't get how you can't just not stop. Because for me, it just fell away. I would drink a beer and I felt like shit. And I don't know. I don't know if it's because I found something that made me feel so good that I wanted to do stuff that made me feel good. And I didn't want to make, do stuff that made me feel bad anymore. Um, I, I don't really know what it was, but I ended up literally um, not drinking anymore. And... If I do drink now, I can have, which I know everyone's like, well, I can't have, you can't just have one. I can have, and I never drink an entire beer. If we go out to dinner and I, or I don't drink wine anymore, that's very dangerous. And I don't drink liquor anymore, that's pretty dangerous too. But if I go to, I like cider, I like drinking, uh, but now I've, I'm brewing my own kombucha, which is that same taste and that same feel of the bitterness, like the, you know, like of drinking the cider. Uh, so like we, last night we went out, one of my friends had her birthday and we went over to her house and had a little pool party. And you know, it's weird to not drink in a world where 
drinking is so socially acceptable. Uh, I had, we went to a Super Bowl party and I literally had to tell this one woman like seven or eight times that I did not want her jello shots without being like, I'm an alcoholic, so I don't drink or I don't know my own limits, you know, or I'm in recovery without even saying that. You have to literally tell people that. You must do. Come on. Yes. To get them to leave you alone. Yes. Have one. No, I can't have just one. I don't want one. Thank you. I don't want one. And then they come back around again. Yeah. That's on them, though. Well, of course, because... Because you to drink to normalize their... Exactly. Thank you. And when you normalize their behavior, when you don't normalize their behavior... And not only can they not deal with it, but then when you're feel like you're not socially acceptable, you have to learn who you are all over again. Yeah. And that's what I had to do. I, I am now, and, and you know, my really close friends are amazing about it. They know I'm not going to drink and it's nothing. We're still going to have a good time. They know that I, actually, they probably prefer it after some of the nights that we had. They probably, pre- they probably would. You know, if somebody come to you with a Dr. Pepper and said, well, you want this Dr. Pepper? And you said, no, thank you. They would walk on. Right? And they're done. Or a <laughs> glass of milk. Yeah. Or, or water. Whatever. Why yeah. do we but insist that people drink? Come and on. not only that, but. And there's even this element sometimes when you actually throw that stuff out there, the people actually then will still continue to push. And that's how it was at the Super Bowl party. Yes. Well, so? So? Yeah. Like, okay. So? And it's like, no. I mean, you literally have to wear a sign on you that says, don't offer me a drink. I don't want to drink. I'm an alcoholic. Or I can't control myself when I'm drinking. Or I'm not just drinking. But you know what's really funny? That people are, is acceptable? No thanks. I'm the designated driver. Yeah. Why oh, am I okay. the designated Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're good. You're okay. If you're the, so that's my, that's my, that's what I had to learn to use now. Is no thanks. I'm the designated driver because I, I, it's still. I mean, my husband drinks beer and he's never had a problem with it, which I don't get. But because he can drink one or two at dinner and he's fine, I drink two and I'm, I got to finish it all off because I either go big or go home. Um, and and but for him, it's it's you know, I mean, he literally is it can, can control it. For the deal him. where the you know. Two things, and you may or may not, but you know the two things that we say if somebody is you know comes to me and has a problem with their drinking, you yeah, know, or they say I think I might, or yeah, you know, is have you tried to quit and couldn't, you know, honestly tried to quit mm-hmm. and couldn't, or uh, do you have you know, trouble controlling how many you drink? Yes, so you and that was my problem. Once you start drinking, and you know, that was my problem. Neither one of those. Must be satisfied. Yes. And my problem was, more, yep, it but, wasn't. It wasn't the day. I mean, I could drink, I could go for you know a couple days, weeks, sometimes weeks without drinking. But boy, when I started, I didn't. I didn't stop until I either blacked out, passed out, or threw up all over myself. And there were times. I mean, I can think of three occasions yeah, where I woke, like, yeah. passed out and, yeah. and, and woke up without my contacts in, without my makeup on, completely showered because somebody had to throw me in a bathtub because I proceeded to throw up and all over. you'll bring that stuff to somebody and they will tell you about the time in 1984 where they had two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I've like, done that. Yeah, well, I've done it once. But, yeah, I mean, when, you, when you've done it five or six There's times, you've blacked out and you don't remember, you know, what's... 
what's going on. So And that's inside of you too. That thing of where that we call it the phenomenon of craving or whatever. Once I get something in me, you know, you can't like beat that really. Not no. some kind of like you know, you put it in remission. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and that was the thing is I literally, I literally was fortunate enough to take my addiction of all this other stuff. And and I think it was just like, it was like, I, I was in such a downward spiral that suddenly I was going to yoga and my anxiety was calming down. And it was like the, the spiral was going upwards and I didn't have to take so many values. And all of a sudden I knew how to breathe. Right. So when something happened to me and it was like an upward spiral where everything started to come together and then I was eating better and then I was taking care of myself and I was going swimming in the, in the pool at the gym instead of just going in free yoga class. And I started to, to physically feel better which meant I was mentally feeling better, which meant I was energetic, and I was releasing all of this pent up energy that I had stored, um, especially from my accident. I mean, I was trying to get rid of that. And, and I found the outlet of practicing yoga, but not yoga in the sense of these crazy poses. And I say crazy because to me, some of these poses, I'm just like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous because I'm like, uh, no, like your handstands when you were doing your handstands. I wish I could put myself into a handstand. But, and you know what? Physically, I probably could. But mentally, it's like there's no way I'm ever putting that much pressure on my shoulder again. Because I know how hard I worked to get it to where it's at. Why am I going to add more? Yeah. And that the, uh, I say this about recovery. There's about 50 things that are number one for me. I'll yeah. Say, you know, if you listen to me, I'll say this is the best thing. Yeah, 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 say, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Thing. But well, one of the best things about yoga is that it is so broad and wide. And you can so broad and wide. If you don't exactly. Want to, if this is not for you, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like I had that a lady that contacted me last week and said, um, "Do you teach hot yoga?" And I said, "No, ma'am. I'm sorry, I don't. I warm the room up. I mean, it's it's cool in here now, but when I teach, especially." if I'm teaching like a restorative class, and that's what I do. I'm not gonna teach hot yoga because I don't need to add any more heat onto my already fiery personality. I need to restore. I go, 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 go. So when I- misnomer anyway, right? I don't know. Yeah, well- Most people, when they say that, they're thinking Bikram, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. they're thinking Bikram, yeah. Well, because of the whole Bikram. Well, the whole meltdown. Yeah, now it's hot yoga. Stuff, but still, yeah. yeah but that's now, what they're yeah, thinking. Yeah, that's, that's what they're thinking. That style of yoga. That style of yoga. It's become just hot yoga now. Because yeah. Because the power vinyasa I do is at 90 degrees, and that's freaking hot to me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we did it this morning, but could you imagine it being 20 more degrees? Yeah. No, I can't. No. I've actually just turned off by that. That didn't. That was not my my alley. And I yeah. did it, but that, that, that style of yoga. Yeah. There's a few things about it that just didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. I tried to do it a few times, and yeah, it it just wasn't. Well, and not only that, but I love to be warm. Like today, when we were sitting out in the sun, I mean, we could have flowed like it was our jobs up and down, up and down. I was no way gonna do that to you. First of all, because I had a couple students out there that probably couldn't have handled that. Um, And I've got a couple. I mean, we had had one student that never practiced with. Uh, There was one student that, like, I know your practice. Pretty much from what you know, what I've seen, and 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 you're when you've when you've gone to a yoga teacher training, whether you're teaching or not, you still know how your body works. Um, I had one one girl that hasn't been on her mat since February, 
Um, and then there was another girl, this was only her second class with me. So, you know, I'm trying, and there was another girl that I haven't seen in a month. So it's like, you're trying that to... the intent of this Sunday morning class anyway, right? No, the intent of this... You've got a different intention. This there. intent of this Sunday morning class is really for people to figure out how can I... What can I take with me this week? And what can I leave behind? Um, and how can I open my heart to myself? How can I open my heart to the people around me? Um, this, this class is really kind of a, it's, 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 my other two classes are very earth-based classes. I do a restorative class and I do a stress relief class, which is kind of a restorative class, a little bit more movement in it, a lot of, you know, kind of water earth class. Uh, my restorative class is all earth. Of course, there's always air. There's always that breath element right, in right. there. Yeah. Um, and I but, agree with you, the breathing thing, you know. Well, and that's why I teach what I teach, because it's amazing. I like my restorative class is only five poses. Um, we stay in each pose for 10, 15 minutes, Friday night, right? Everybody's been beat down by corporate America, because now my students and the people that come to me are not your typical yogis that are looking for a hot yoga class because that's not what I offer here. What I offer here in my studio and in my teachings, now I have instructors, you know, we all teach something different, but for my teachings, it's how can you unwind all of that heat that you just put into your body? Mm -hmm. Whether it was working, whether it's sitting, you know, whatever you do, whether you're on your feet, whether you're stressed out, anxiety. I have a lot of people that come in here and take my classes that are suffering from anxiety depression and suicidal tendencies and I'm not going to teach stuff that I don't know so why am I going to teach hot yoga because I, I, I don't that style didn't work it for me what worked for me was the meditation mm -hmm. the very slow mindful movement um, mindfulness in general I mean what's mindfulness everyone throws around this word like mindfulness but they come to yoga class and I can't even get them to stay off their phone on their mat and I'm like you just posted on your Facebook page that you're gonna practice mindfulness and here you are on your mat on your phone you know like it's like ah you know like you can't throw around these words until you sit down and practice it and and that's what I try to get and I'm very real and I'm very raw with my students I'm very raw I, we talk about uncomfortable subjects because you have to go through the uncomfort to get to the other side. And, and the thing is, is that for so many years, I feel like I, I got to the edge of the uncomfort and then I numbed myself because I didn't want to deal with it. And then I found yoga and it was like, okay, I'm in a safe space. I am my own safe space. And it's okay if I'm sad. It's okay if I want to cry. It's okay if I want to burst out and, and yell when I'm done with class. Like, it's not perfect, it's not beautiful, but it's what heals me. And that's what I really wanted to bring to other people. So I got my 200 hour, and then I thought about for a while going and teaching for somebody else. But honestly, I was so funny enough. I still, I had a dream last night. I was telling Bob this morning on my way here. I had a dream last night that I was working for my old employer. Mm -hmm. Now, I have not worked for my old employer. I left halfway through my yoga teacher training program. And it was one of those things where I wasn't prepared or anything. I walked in on a Friday. I had a really horrible customer that was screaming in my face. Um, I had, my assistant manager was supposed to work on Saturday. Um, and he called in, quote unquote, sick. 
which probably, and I say that like sick because we always called in sick on each other because nobody wanted to work, you know? I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, we had vaca- We had so many vacation days. You could, I had six weeks of vacation. Threw away six weeks of vacation. That means I only had to work 10 and a half months during the year. I only had to put up with that because I got 12 weeks or six weeks where I could just chill out and get paid for it, you know? Um, and he called in and it was for, we were supposed to have a horrific snowstorm that afternoon and, and it was just a mess. Um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I, 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 I just could not do it anymore. And I texted my boss and I said, I don't know what you want to do with this bit of information, but I'm done. Yeah. I quit putting in my two weeks notice. And he responded back to me and was like, what the heck is going on? And I responded back. I was like, I, I can't. Like, if I don't quit this job, I am going to kill myself. That's where I was at. Like, these are my two options. I have hit a wall. And these are my two options. Either I'm out or I'm done. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, I can't do this. Any- I, I cannot do this for so myself. So you quit while you were in teacher training? I quit, yeah, I started teacher training in October, I quit in February. And then of course, you give them your two weeks, but for the company I worked for- 200 hour went from longer than from October to February? It was October to October. Oh, the teacher, Teacher yeah, teacher training program was immersion program. So the way Amanda does it is you are immersed in your teacher training program for, mine was a year, I did my 300 hour in a year, but now it's, they realized that a year wasn't long enough. Um, it's a, a year and a half. And that's what I love about Amanda's um, style of teaching, which, like I said, I, I, I had to join a yoga studio while I was in teacher training. So I joined a local studio here because one of the people I was in teacher training with was also teaching there. So I felt safe there. And so I was going to his classes because he knew who I was. He knew I was a loud mouth. He knew that I was crazy. Um, I started to try and quit smoking, eventually quit smoking. Um, after that, you know, the whole thing, but he knew, he knew my story from school and I felt very safe in, in his presence, which ironically enough turned out to be a not safe situation, um, later on down the road. And now I don't even. So the immersion thing, uh, this it's, you go for a weekend once a month for 13 months. Hmm. So you're there all day Friday or excuse me, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then you're off for a month. Yeah, but you have our assignments. And, and you have assignments, you have reading, you have homework. And what I loved about Amanda and my 200 hour program is that you had journaling. So she had like six questions yeah. and you had to answer those questions. Back then when I was in it, you're in the present moment. You don't realize what you're really putting in and what you're getting out. It's not the same about life in general, but you know, one of the things I am very, very thankful for is I have all 200 hours of this year long program documented in my journals. Yeah. And so I can go back and reflect on where was I? And and in that process, I quit my job. My mother-in-law passed away which meant my husband and I inherited his father full time because uh, she was still taking, she was now, the, my mother-in-law was the primary caregiver and, and, and she literally passed away. She got very sick and, and within three months had, had died. And uh, 
So all of a sudden we have this stroke victim. I shouldn't even laugh, but I mean, there's nothing else I can do at this point. Uh, poor, poor dad. We let him stay at the house for a year by himself uh, with home health coming in in the mornings and in the afternoons. And it turned out to be the worst epically failed project of all time. I mean, it was... It was nuts. We it wasn't a, quite a year. It was about ten months. We could, I mean, how do you force a seventy-something-year-old man to leave everything he knows? And where do you put him? Because the VA. I mean, it, it was nuts. It was that was a whole nother thing, you know. But at that point in time, I knew. You know, they always say worst-case scenario. I had been through a worst-case scenario. I mean, there, there's losing your mother-in-law and watching your husband lose his mother. There's no greater pain than that. It, it's, you know, and everyone says, well, you don't know unless. You don't know unless. It doesn't matter. If you lose a mother, father, mother-in-law, father-in-law, spouse, child, like, it's pain in your heart that you hold on to. Yeah, and it's very... Mother and uh, 14 months sober. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, what do you do? For me, it was... Okay, well, I know what not to do now. And I'm not going to get tied up in this drinking and, this, and, and the depression and the anxiety and everything else. I'm not going to go that way. Because I can get on my yoga mat and I can take a yoga class and I can have my own practice. And I know now what I need to do. So if I have anxiety, I know I need to stand in Tadasana. And if I have, you know, if I have sadness and I have heartache, I know I need to do chest open. And if it's, you know, if I'm trying to create and I know that, you know, I know I need to do four bending. But it was finding those teachers that were willing to teach me what I needed to know. And when you're fooling around with the energetic body, it's very hard. What I needed was my teacher, Amanda, to teach me how to sit down and listen to myself. I mean, because I talk a lot. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> so then you did this, so you did this year, and what, when was that? I did, that was 2015, October of 2015. I know they all do, I guess they, you know, because I know somebody now that's doing a 200-hour 200 class online, you know, because yeah. that's what's available right now. Uh, I mean, I, and, uh, I get it, but I don't get it. was a five-month thing. Yeah. It was like, you know, it was really, it was Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, 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 yeah. Month. But you didn't go all day Thursday, it was just like, yeah. Thursday evening, yeah. Friday evening, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Yeah. And, and so, so now my 300 teach, hour, teach, and that is so much. Yeah, the 300 hour, uh, I re-enrolled. Well, in the, the 300 process. 300 hour is 100 hour than the 200, right? It's yeah. It's another 300. No, it's another 300. It's another 300. Yeah. So for the Yoga Alliance, there's two registrations. There's a, your RYT 200, which is your 200 hour registered, or RYT 500, which means you add another 300 on. Okay. So I got my RYT two. Well, I got my my yoga teacher training two hundred, and was able to register with the Yoga Light through Lexington Healing Arts. Yeah, okay. And I graduated with that in twenty sixteen, um, and then I opened up my studio, which was like crazy because it was like I had two yoga students. I had never been in a yoga studio other than the one that I was going to because my friend was teaching and I had to go to yoga. Never been to a yoga studio my whole life, but that gave me a whole fresh. I mean, I, I, I could do whatever I wanted. It could be whatever I wanted. It wasn't modeled after so-and-so, and it wasn't modeled after this studio that's been around for 30 years, and it wasn't modeled after the trendy studio over on the corner. It was my studio. It was my concept, my idea, which has always been 
to bring yoga to the people who don't think they can do yoga. The ones that say, I can't do yoga because of this, no, you come in and I guarantee you can do yoga. You know, I mean, it's always been for me, my mission has always been bringing yoga to those who, like me, <laughs> think it would be hilarious to show up in a yoga studio because who wants my loud mouth in a yoga studio? Nobody. But well, my experience in yoga is that the stereotypical thing ain't happening. It depends. I mean, I I, some. My, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, is <laughs> right. That what you come in and look at wasn't what. I what thought. was actually I see going a very on? Very broad cross section yeah. to some extent of bodies. Uh, of course. Fact, I've watched just since I've been around since 2016. My first class. Yeah. I've watched the male population explode. Explode. Yeah. I'm at for for the longest time, and I won't. You know, it was all women. I don't want because I, I don't really feel like that, but. In my experience, when I first started going, there was a lot of time I was the only dude in there. Which, which is really weird because one. all but now is a bunch. All of the teachers in India are male, male right? <laughs> and all of the practitioners. So I'm seeing a big shift, you know. In like yeah, seven, it's a huge shift, and and I think yoga. Put those walls up about yeah. what it is and what it ain't. They haven't. Yeah. You don't know because what it is here at 105 Dennis Drive is not what it is there. Yeah. And that's not what it is there. And so like, you notice like, I don't know if you notice the little thing over there that says, find your tribe, love them hard. I am, I am totally okay with somebody coming in. We had that one lady that's never practiced with me before. She's actually a member of another yoga studio here in Lexington. She only came here for class this morning because her friend comes to class here. He's one of my students. And he said, you should try the studio out. You may really like it. I don't know. She could have probably left and been like, dude, that is not yoga because that's not the yoga she practices because I know where the studio is that she yeah. practices. I know the owners. I know the teachers. My guess is if you got and any groundedness about you, though, that you're not doing that. No. Go, that is not my kind of yoga. Yeah. No, it's not my kind, really yoga. my kind of yoga. My kind of... I care for the 105 degree 26 pose. No, 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 no. That's just not my... Now, a friend wants me to go yeah. to yoga with him and that's what he's doing. I'll probably go. You'll go and take the class, but you're not going to keep showing up. Yeah. I mean, that's not, I don't need that extra heat. I know I don't need that extra heat. Now, if a restorative class. Like, and again, my experience with that was a very stuffy atmosphere, too. Well, again, not, I don't yeah. know if they're I mean, all like a, that. No, I mean, like, not It's just, just very rigid. Not the temperature. Rigid, yeah, you know, and, and that's just not me either. No, I'm not. That's what I thought yoga was. I was like, these people are, what are they going to do with that? Like, what am I going to do with that? Be quiet and sit yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, right? No, and then there's me that comes in like a ray of... Only drink water when you're allowed. Yeah, and you have to ask permission to go to the bathroom and stuff. And that's those little things that I, that like I'm so, and that's where like the soul rebel came in, which is like, okay, I'm going to take this idea that people have of yoga and I'm going to flip the script on it. Because I can, yeah. because I can, because I have the energy, I have the drive, I have the determination. And now all I need is my yoga teaching certificate and I've got the know-how, yeah. you know, the know-how. So I opened up my studio in 2016 and you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how we've stayed open. I mean, I know how we've stayed open, but it's been a lot of patience. It's been a lot of classes where nobody showed up. Perseverance. Uh, the first, yeah, you you know, and, and like, I'm a perfectionist, and, and I need my classes to be 20 people, you know, in my, hey. yeah, no, 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 no. And then, you know, the nice thing for us was um, the events, and not just my path, 
I can't remember if my path was before the yoga. I think the yoga festival was first, and then I went to my path. Did you start with the body stuff before or after? The body care stuff, kind of all at the same time. The body care stuff it was a drinking afternoon. Uh, it was my sister's birthday. It was 2015. So I started the body care stuff a year before, but we started it as fun. Uh, my sister wanted to make homemade soap for her birthday. And so we bought some chintzy ass homemade soap. Uh, and we bought some really crappy essential oils. And, you know, on Amazon, because that's what you do. You gotta start somewhere. You gotta start somewhere, yeah. And we, we made this drink called Sex on a Snowbank, which is like, of course, it's January, so don't put that in perspective. But it's like rum and cream of um, coconut and Kahlua and ice cubes and you mix it all up and it looks like snow in the thing but it's i mean it's kind of like a pina colada but it, it's it very warm with the color so the soap well we were drink we bought that and we drank it and and we were making soap and we had a girl's day out of it for her birthday so it was just like a craft day yeah it was just like let's get drunk and have fun and make you soap and then the same way, went and bought some blank cams yeah yeah, yeah 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 and then like two months later you know everyone was out of soap and we were like well let's do it again so we did it again and I was sitting there and I was like, you know, because I always needed to have my own business. I needed to, to do my own thing. I needed to, but I didn't know what I wanted to do because there's a million things you can do. And I'm the kind of person that's changing your mind every other day. And so I kept, uh, I, I really liked making the soap, but I really, because at this time I had had skin cancer. And I've already gone to cosmetology school, so I understand how the skin works. I, I understand like the derma layers and all of that. And, and I'm thinking to myself the whole time, hmm, I wonder if I could experiment with more. Why stop at soap? So my sister was making her own deodorant at the time, so I stole her recipe and, and added a little bit to it um, because it needed a carrier oil in it. We started making the deodorant. And, and one day we were sitting there, and, and it was me and my sister, and my best friend, and my mom, and we were all making soap, and we're laughing and carrying on and having a good time. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved, I just loved it. It, it was like cooking, but you, without the calories. I love to cook. I love to be in the kitchen. And so I was like, you know what? One of these days, I'm gonna make a business out of this. And we all laughed. And one of those days, I quit my job, and I had nothing but time. I had nothing but time, desire, and a willingness to learn. So I took a course um, on, you know, like essential oil, like kind of like a like an herbologist course, but with like the skin, you know, to learn the basics of what you can put on the skin, what carrier oils are good for it, you know, just like. Not the basics. I mean, it was like a 10-hour online course that I took, but it seems basic. From what I know now to what I knew then, it, it was very, like, very rudimentary. And then I just figured out, like, you know, the, the Ayurvedic uh, techniques of, of how to balance out people's doshas using oils. And so then I really kind of started to dive into these, I mean, pick a rabbit hole and I'll go down it. I mean, I love to learn. I love to study. I, I'm fascinated with fixing things, yeah. like healing things like, okay, so you've got acne. Well, what can I, what can I combine to try and, and fix the solution for you in a holistic, organic way? 
Um, and this kind of went back to me with the surgeon in my shoulder. I mean, I was fascinated that hemp seeds, which I've always known hemp is like the toughest stuff in the whole wide world anyways, but you know, eating hemp seeds and using hemp seeds on your skin and using hemp seed oil and all of that, you know, I mean, it's just, it's... And you sell CBD here too? I sell CBD. I sell the drops. I only sell, um, 250 milligrams because honestly, um... That's what I use. I don't like to sell stuff I don't use. So, I don't even know what that means. Um, Other so, than the bottle of, like, this is... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 946 milliliters. Yeah, so in a two-ounce bottle, it's a two-ounce bottle, it's 250 milligrams of um, full-spectrum hemp extract. And full-spectrum hemp extract is a combination. So it's kind of like... You've got vegetable soup. You're making vegetable soup. So you throw in the broth, right? And you throw in your bouillon and you, your chicken stock or whatever you're using, your, your vegetable broth. And then you decide you're gonna have vegetables. So CBD is like the celery. You know, it's like that, that or the potatoes. It's like the this, this staple in it. Uh, but really there's hundreds of other cannabinoids that can be extracted out that all do different things to the physical body and the mental body and the emotional body and the energetic body. So that's where we come into like the whole THC and it's illegal versus, you know, a little bit of THC is, is it medicinal? Is it not medicinal? Is it, you know, I mean, it's a whole, everyone, like everything, like wearing a mask, everyone has their own opinion on it. Yeah. Um, I, I walked into a guy, my first experience when I talked to somebody about it was a dude who had definitely just smoked a lot of marijuana. Yeah. And he was trying to tell me about that this stuff would cure everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> and well, I, and that's part of the problem with like... <sighs> it's like, what's it for? He goes, well, you got... You yeah, know? well, you got, right? Exactly. Wow. But And that's the thing is that here in, in Kentucky, I mean, it's great because it's... CBD and hemp and hemp seed oil is, um, it really is great for the farmers here, but there's a difference between, you know, I mean, some people can grow it, uh, and some people should be selling it and some people should be diagnosing with it and some people should be doing that. I mean, it's a, it's a whole, the problem is, is with CBD, it went unregulated in Kentucky for so long mm -hmm. that anybody could do anything. So for $10,000 and a little piece of land, all you needed to do was plant just some hemp seeds, which is a weed, so it grows like weeds, you know, like you can grow it. Uh, do a little internet research, plant just some hemp seeds, get your cold press machine, and there was a lot of people out there that were cold pressing CBD that probably shouldn't have been cold pressing and made a lot of money off of it. And and now, I mean, we went from uh, the company that I that I sell for. I actually went and sat with them. Mm -hmm. We toured the factory. I mean, it's a huge cold press facility in Louisville. The, the, the hemp that they use, that they process, comes from like 41 different farms. At the time it was like 32, now there's 41. But they, they're very strict on their uh, THC levels. And it's all tested by third party tests. So somebody else with nothing to do with that comes in and tests it. Yeah. Says yes, it's good to go, or no, it's not. Uh, we saw. We actually, I saw with my own eyes because I'm in the business of wellness, not in the business of CBD. And that, and that was like the big misconception. And I have people knock on my door all the time. 
Actually, I have more CBD representatives coming here trying to get me to sell their CBD than I do customers. I mean, I'm like, you're the fifth one this week, and I've only been here for two days. Because everyone wants the shelf space to sell it. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, no. And and then, yeah, and not only that, but it's like I, we were setting up at these events, and the people to the left of us are selling CBD, the people to the right of us are selling CBD, and the people in front of us are selling CBD, and these people are selling CBD from Arizona, these people are selling CBD from California, these people are selling CBD from China, and everyone's like making all this money because they've got this amazing marketing, sales, Pyramids. I mean, it's. I it's, just knew from the beginning it wasn't for me. Yeah, you know, you know I, I sell the two fifty uh, because I always say if I don't use it, I'm not going to sell it. And I use the two fifty. I use it to sleep because, believe it or not, I don't sleep very well. So at night, um, I use it. I take and and I I mean and I and I I've helped people dosage. I've seen some amazing things yeah. uh, I with, with it. the I droppers. Just saw it out there on. But the here, but what night. really. I think is uh, for me um, was the, the the salve, the external use on the skin and the inflammation, and that's you know the the, the droppers kind of it's nice. I use it. it; it helps me put me to sleep. It keeps me pretty much even keeled. I just I'm smiling at some level because I just flashed back to that goopy pothead. Yeah, I, right, right, yeah, yeah. Said, well, and that's <laughs> yeah. I said, so what do you do? He said, I just take a few drops and put it under your yeah. tongue and the whole like, drop nobody knows. Full, and he goes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. And and people like so I that said, was, So you're smoking pot too, right? Yeah. And he goes, right? Mm. Uh, and yeah, I mean it's right. like yeah, it's it's the whole thing is just. It's just one point out there, dude. Don't lie to me about that. And this is the thing about CBD. A little bit goes a long way. It's not like, and so okay, so this is what happens. So we've got a community, and especially here in Kentucky, that is um, trying to get overcome addiction, right? And then we give them this, you know, a miracle drug, if you want to call it a drug, of CBD, or well, I sell full-spectrum hemp jackstar, so it does have some of the THC. A little bit of THC is really good for you. A lot of it is really bad for you, so pick your poison, you know? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you yeah. know, I'm going to struggle with that at some level, because like, of course. Know, I know that people can drink in moderation, and it's okay. Yeah. Would you be better off if you didn't drink at all? Some people would say some red wine is good for you. Know. Yeah, but exactly. I really do think you're probably better yeah. off if you didn't consume any alcohol. The, yeah, right. In the right? long run, that's not going to increase your lifespan. It's probably not going to make you, you know. And I have, are, oh, yeah, I, I make. And same thing with THC, right? You know, yeah. uh, some THC is not probably going to derail your no, life. No, it's not. Uh, now. Can but it, it could it? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Really, would we probably be better off if we weren't like smoking something? You probably would live longer if you never smoked anything. Yeah. No, I'm not going to probably I would probably be long I would probably live longer if I never ate any ice cream. Yeah, right. Like or eat it or cream, a cookie. You know? Cookie. No, yeah. I mean it so and I that's mean, the thing. Is that some people should stay far away from it. You know, it's like everything else. I can tell I should. But you know the sales uh, and the marketing, and this doesn't just go for CBD. It's kind of gotten an unmanageable too. This like goes CBD marketing. It's, it's like everything else. Be it's it's like everything else. Essential oils is another thing. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, it's, it's, and, and most of the companies that are selling essential oils and that are selling CBD products, it's a pyramid or a hierarchy of sales. And so in order to ever make any money off your home-based business, quote unquote, you have to get people to sell underneath you. It's all a distributor. And the thing is, is that most people... The doTERRAs and the Young America and whatever, all those things are those kind of things. Right? And so people come in here and, and, and they've got the marketing. And that's... that's I'm not knocking what, No, exactly. What Do fascinates me is the marketing. Because I'm a bit like I have a business degree, and I sat in business school, and I learned the how to, and and the general public doesn't understand marketing at all. Like they do not get it, and so people come up to me all the time and they're like, "Well, they'll look at my essential oils because I get my essential oils from an organic, now certified organic factory, I've been in business for hundreds of years in the middle of India." Who knew the home of essential oil was in India? I mean, it's kind of like yoga, you know? The home of yoga is in India. They've been doing this for a lot longer. The East has been doing this for a lot longer than we are. We're just catching on. So I, and it was, it was, it took me a lot. It wasn't like uh, a one quick email and oh yeah, you can sell our oils or we'll, we'll distribute oils to you. I needed to buy a massive amount of a quantity of oils from a very quality, manufacturer and it took me six months to set that agreement up hmm. and i had to make a huge huge investment in the first and batch so of oils are you also using those oils in your product i use those so oils in my products just uh, selling the oil yes uh, so i i i sell the oil yeah i sell i'll mix and sell the oils if people just want the oils for like the diffuser or whatnot um and yes, I use them in my products and, and like in my own house. I have one diffuser in my house and I don't think I've turned it on since I stopped um, teaching, it started teaching back here and not out of my home. Yeah, um, I was really hot on mine for a while. But yeah, and then you kind of go without it. Where I, where I really do love the whole essential oils is because I've had skin cancer, I love the whole organic aspect of it. And not only that, and I, I can't prove, and I'm not going to pay the FDA to, um, to prove it for me. Um, I can't prove that putting an organic product such as mine, which is a technique called oiling. Um, it's, you know, as, as a white um, girl from Vermont, I grew up being told that my skin can't be oily. It needs to be dry dry like that that was the that was the marketing that's what Not i always thought yeah right yeah exactly and put the foundation on oh my god the other day bob was like he was laughing at me because i was sitting i was just sitting on the couch and we were getting ready to go to bed and somebody sent me this link um i have a friend and it was this um <laughs> it was a, a drag queen that was uh, critiquing makeup videos. <laughs> so you're watching the, the, the drag queen as he, she is critiquing the videos. And it was hilarious. It really was. But I was watching these people, like, because I don't watch makeup videos. Fortunately for me, I don't really have to because my skin is pretty nice. You know, I mean, like, I, I don't like this, I don't want to say that, but it is. I've taken care of it because for seven years, I know when I'm putting on it. 
It's not alcohol. It's not tetrahedra, hucha, pika, whatever. It doesn't have a lot of vowels. You know, and I tell people all the time, they, they message me and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, like, my hands are so dry. My hands are so dry. And I've been, well, what are you using on them? Well, I'm using, you know, this brand or this brand or this brand. And I'm like, what's the first ingredient? Alcohol. Okay, well, that's why your hands are dry. You're putting something on your hand because the commercial tells you that it's anti-aging and the commercial tells you they can say whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. They, they, the FDA is going to, now I don't know about you, but I don't know if the FDA really has our best interests at heart. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Most, some people are like, oh yeah, the FDA said this. You know what? That's great. The FDA said that. I don't really trust the FDA. I don't really trust anybody up there in Washington because it's all about yeah, who's got the money. Yeah, me neither. Exactly. So this is what I can tell people. Everything looks like circus music. Yep, exactly. And it is circus music. I mean, that's all it is. And this is what I can tell people. This is what I'm allowed to tell people. It is 100% organic. There are no chemicals. There's no chemicals in the growing process of the seeds. Everything that I use raw product-wise is certified USDA organic. And then I get the, well, are you certified USDA organic? No, I'm not, because I'm not paying the government to certify me. And if you want to try my products and use it, great. And if you don't, great. Like, uh, either way, it's fine. You can either take my word for I it. Or don't like it. I've got no reason to lie, but you can take my word for it or not. Like, that's fine. Yeah. This is the one thing I have seen, especially with the Calm Bomb and the Agni Bomb, which are my two CBD butters. So I started out as an organic body care company, and then hemp and, and hemp extract became legal here in Kentucky, and that's why I ended up going to the factory. Not so much for the sublingual drops. I use the sublingual drops. I may sell two, three bottles of, of CBD a day. I'm not a CBD company. If I sell it, it's great. It's passive income. Uh, some people really need it. Some people come in here because they know Let's I can- Let's get back to that cream. I can help them formulate it. What I wanted, was to be able to offer the CBD in the body butter um, and the topical use yeah. because that I have seen people barely walk through my door because they are in so much physical pain. And this goes, of course, back to the whole addiction thing. You're in so much physical pain that you take a bunch of pills that your doctor prescribes you, but you're, I mean, when I took those pain pills for three days with my shoulder, I couldn't get off my couch. Yeah. So the cream is actually making people's pain go away? It's crazy. Is that what you're saying? I can't really say it. All I can do is share my testimonials. It is not. It's magic. So the, so I know, it, right? No, but, well, well, I'll tell you where I'm hung up. Is you said something about, maybe I heard wrong. I acne. see Agni. Say that. Agni bomb. Agni is the Hindu god of fire. Okay. So the acne. I was hearing something completely different. Yeah. I was hearing like a acne, like oh, skin cream. No, I have one for um, for acne, uh, a face. But that's not what you were referring no, to. No, for the body butter. That told me in the nerve. Acne bomb, which is the agni, agni is what it's really referred to in Sanskrit, but is the Hindu god of fire. So I have a bomb that is warming, that warms the inflammation. It war like if you're gonna put a heat pack, people are always like, what is the difference between the two? This is the difference. I have two CBD products that I hand make. It's been helped me, they help me formula. And I'll tell you what, the government has stuck so much red tape in front of me and I keep cutting it because I'm doing the right thing. I'm formulating it the right way. I know what the hell I'm doing. I may be working out of my kitchen, but it's a certified kitchen. And, and the, the, all my formulations came from the company that I get my sublingual drops from. 
Um, they helped me. I made the product, sent it to them. They sent it back and said, nope, send it, send it back. The difference between my new products is if you have a problem, like a headache, uh, menstrual cramps, that's a huge one. I sell a lot of it for menstrual cramps. Uh, knee issues, elbow issues, arthritis, you know, all these, these problems that we all have. Do you want a heat pack or do you want an ice pack? And that's the difference between my two products. One of it, when you put it on, is very cool. I actually put it on this morning before I taught class because it has peppermint and spruce and uh, clary sage and rosemary and these menthol-y essential oils. It's got all Kentucky grown hemp in it, hemp seed oil, which is a carrier. You put it on and I don't, I can't tell you what happens because I don't know what happens. But it's like that annoying pain that you had in your wrist. Or the annoying, I mean, I have tendonitis in my wrists. I can't go to sleep without putting it on because my, my wrists go numb. They don't go numb when I use it. All I can do is speak for myself. I have a yeah, weird sure. IT band issue on my right leg. I get up in the morning and before I start my day, I take a little bit of my calm bomb because this time of year, I like the cooling one. Now come November, I don't want to be anywhere near something cold because I hate to be cold and I'm already cold. So that I use the Agni Bomb, which is the warming one, which has like myrrh and um, nagchampa and uh, uh, neroli and vanilla, and it's all these warm oils. So when you put it on, it actually heats up and then it treats, attacks. I don't even know. What I get your son to that. I'm not. I yeah. The inflammation. Well, the amazing thing is. I mean, there's things is, out there that do that. Yeah. It, it's, it's, but not the way you're studying. Yeah. And here's the amazing thing is that when you walk into a CBC store, you walk into the mall, like, I mean, the mall is a huge one, um, which is uh, granted they have to charge a lot of money for it, but we, as a, as a society and as a culture, we have this thing in our minds that the more expensive it is, the better it is. Yeah. The more money I pay for it, the more it's going to work. No. The more money you pay for it, the better the CEO lives. Uh, the more money the CEO has, the more money the reps are getting paid, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a better quality product. It just means that they've got a hell of a marketing team. People are getting paid hundreds and hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to tell you that their essential oil is the best essential oil. People are getting telling them to tell you that their car is better than that car. Right. People are getting tell you that that... And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not saying there's not quality essential oils and inqual... I know. I use the unquality, the bad quality essential oils. We bought some essential oils off of Amazon and it does not do... I Now that I have quality essential, which I've always had, my oils have been, I didn't start making my products till uh, the end of 2015, I finally landed this agreement with this oil company and, and they're super great. And actually, I don't even go through a rep. I, I fought tooth and nail to talk to the CEO. And my rep is the CEO of this company. And he's super nice. And, and we've had this amazing relationship, which is really bizarre. Uh, I actually, Bob and I were you supposed know, to a, go. We can't go a lot longer because I'll end up right. in the limit of how long. That's all right. So what I would like to do is have you talk about your stuff here and how people can get with you. Oh, yeah. And where oh, yeah. Want more information.
That's my hardest part that is telling people I come back. So there's a bunch of different. So I hit that ways. three hour mark and I yeah. run into. I don't even know what time. Oh God, is it four or five? It gets yeah. to put it up. Um. So a bunch of different ways. If you're in Lexington, um, we are at 105 Dennis Drive, which is our new location. Um, Facebook, social media is always going to be the best way to track our hours because everything changes depending on what I've got going current on. Current conditions, too. Yeah, current so, conditions, too. Who normal knows? it's that way. Yeah, normal um, it's that way, but can you imagine? Now people like actually messaging me and they're like, are you open? And I was like, yeah. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I mean, tomorrow we could be shut down. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I have no idea what's going to happen. The wonderful so thing the is... Facebook is a better... Facebook is always best. You can go to Soul Rebel X uh, Body Care and Studio. You can go to Soul Rebel X Wellness Center. Uh, and it's S-O-U-L-R-E-B-E-L-E-X. Soul and, uh, Rebel we will put this X. stuff on the show notes so you'll see it. Yeah, tomorrow. Soul Rebel X. It's kind of a, a funky way... Uh, to spell it, I wasn't allowed to use Soul Rebel because that is actually uh, trademarked. So, well, yeah. Well, Soul Rebel is a Bob Marley song, oh, um, and so the Marley family have rights to the music of it. But then there's a clothing brand, and where I was set up as a retail, uh, I conflicted, and, and so although I did get sued so sued at one point by Soul, Soul Cycle. Which is like a cycling company. Yeah, and I was really proud of myself because I handled an entire uh, It wasn't a suit. It was a cease and desist and I handled the whole thing by myself without a lawyer without paying anyone Just by using my own brain with their high-paid attorneys up in New York City Trying to cease and desist me of using Soul Rebel X because it was too close to Soul Cycle. And as you can see my name is still Soul Rebel X, but my logos are not um, gray blue gold and orange <laughs> i mean and they can buy online too right they can so, buy online yep it is I have um done that. it is it's oh yeah you have done that i love it when i see your order come through i'm like hey he needs me our beard oil um it is uh of course http right right you know, blah, blah, blah. it's soul rebel lex but here's the tricky part because I messed it all up and I don't want to change it. Oh, yeah. It's spelt differently for the website. So it's well, I will definitely want to get it. S-O-U-L-R-E-B-E-L-L-E-X. Two L's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three L's, yeah. Uh, X at Wix, W-I-X, dot com, backslash, body care. No, or Google Soul Rebel. Yeah, Lex. if you Google it, it'll come up. And if you go, yeah, popped up or yoga. Yeah, I was gonna say, up. and and so my my body care website is one, my yoga website's the other, but they're. I have a husband who builds portals, so they're portaled oh, yeah, in. Right. So you can click to yoga and go to the other one. You can click, and I mean, I could play forever doing that. Yeah. Um, and Instagram is Soul Rebel Lex underscore tapas. Usually if you type in Soul Rebel, um, we're going to come up in one of the ones because, and it's all one word. That's the tricky part. If you put a space in there, it's all this other stuff, but ours is all one word. So it's S-O-U-L-R-E-B-E-L-E-X, no spaces. And so as soon as you put like S-O-U-L-R-E without the space, Boom, everything will come up. Um, I will get it from you for sure. Yeah, I'll give you one of my cards. Yeah, and all the links are on there. And uh, But, you know, social media is... I am so accessible yeah. to everybody. That's what I tell people here. 
to yeah, I mean, I'm so I accessible. Say, yeah, if you're having trouble finding it. Exactly. Contact me. Contact me. My cell phone number is 606-776-7700. Same one it's been since 1997. Um, yeah, just shoot me a message. Send me an email. Anything. I'm, I'm so accessible. If I don't answer you, most likely I'm in a yoga class. Uh, or I still work a part-time job, you know, doing the the serving thing. I still yeah. wait tables. Oh, hell yeah. It's cash money, baby. Yeah, I mean, it suits your uh, personality. I love it. And yeah. not just that, but it's a break from on Mondays and Wednesdays. I still work. Yeah, I still work 15 hours a week. I don't, I don't think, I think I will probably end up waiting tables until the day I die. Yeah. In some form or fashion or the other. I love it. I love to serve people. I, I do very well at it. I'm very, you know, I just love meeting people. And where I am, I'm close to the interstate. I meet travelers. I meet families. And it's a great way to meet people where I can be like, hey, oh, did you say you're interested in yoga? Here's my card. I mean, it's just another way to connect to people. And right now, I can't go out to events. I can't go out and I mean, everything's canceled. Everything is canceled for the rest of the year. It'll come back. So, yeah, it will. It's going to come back, and it's going to come back, and people are going to be out there looking for ways to feel better. I think so, too. I think this is going to spur on a thing where people are going to be interested in other tools to have better lives. Later. Yeah, well, and this is... Could improve the quality of their lives. And, 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 you know, this is the one thing. I read an article yesterday that the the... The most social media is such a driving force right now and which is good I mean social media is how I've built my business um, because people can stay connected to me all I have to do is say hey check out my Facebook page yeah, if you right. want to connect Facebook or Instagram 99% of the people are on Facebook or Instagram um, and, and it makes it very easy to connect with people the tricky part is is we as a culture have to remember that nine times out of ten, the person that is that the advertisements that you're seeing in your newsfeed are people getting paid a lot of money to advertise to your newsfeed. I am organic. I have always been organic. I don't uh, pay anybody to do my social media, and yeah, it, it's raw. It's as raw and organic as I am. Um, but I am not going to pay to take up your newsfeed feed. I'm just not. So you have to search, you have to find companies out there that I, if I have an extra $100 a month to spend on marketing, I'm gonna take that $100 a month and I'm gonna give $100 worth of free yoga classes to people. I'm gonna take that $100 a month and I'm gonna do a really cool raffle. I don't know yeah, if you saw a raffle up there. Yeah, I've got a million different things to do with my money. Spending it, but there are companies out there. And clickbait is, a popular thing now, which people don't realize, uh, money. I think they do. Lose weight. There's some look that. younger. Uh, easy, and there's one more, and I don't remember what it is. But there's five words that get clicked on the most, and so they throw these words into these posts, and then they sell you some something, and 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 we think it looks great. And, and what I really want to do is try to remind people that when you're on social media and you see these beautiful pictures, anybody can start a business now. 
They don't have to have any business sense. They don't have to have any common sense. They don't have to have any ethics. They don't have to have... There's actually a big thing going on where people are actually just flat out ripping you off when you send them... Flat out ripping you off. Because the website looks great. It's not even that it's a bad product. You just... won't be anything coming. There's you know, nothing Amazon coming. bought some stuff and actually this stuff had come in a package. Yeah. There actually was. There was a little package of bullshit that came in the mail and the picture would say, and they'd say, no, it's delivered. You see it? There it is on your porch. Yeah. And you know, so all that was taken care of, you know, and you could go to yeah. the uh, links to do something about it, but it's just... I see it all the time. I see it all the time. People that are posting on Facebook and they're like, I can't believe this happened to me. And as a yoga instructor, I want to give them a hug and be like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But as a fellow human being and a business owner that's trying to do the right thing, I want to put in there. So that goes with my business and some things like Teresa's doing and people, and you should know the people that you're working with. You, exactly. It's a whole lot better so that you actually build like what we talked about earlier about having relationships with people so that you know what you're getting and... And Having the relationship and, I and knowing that. think most of the people that listen to that. my podcast are actually in that realm, you know? They're not necessarily the suckers yeah. that are following. Not that people don't thing, deserve to live off millions and millions yeah, and millions yeah, of dollars. Yeah. I mean, have at it. But I can almost guarantee that if you knew personally the CEO of the company that you're buying stuff from off the internet, you would not be supporting that person or their ideals or their values or... Where does that millions of dollars go? So, uh, it's all, it's education. Actually, I'm going to leave it alone. Cool. Yeah. It's Uh, being aware. Yeah, it's fun. It's making ourselves be aware of, I mean, that's where we have the power. Yeah, wake up. We've been saying this, exactly. Get woke. For the last three months, we've been saying, everyone's been looking around, this whole COVID thing. If COVID hasn't woken you up yet, nothing is going to wake you up. Do your research. And, and, And don't get into... The he said, she said, this said, sharing, oh my God, sharing stuff. So I always close this thing up with two statements and they both are this. One of them is if you're not, and so we'll use that thing of recovery because don't get pigeonholed that I think I'm talking about. Exactly. Necessarily. I'm talking about finding who you really are. Yes. So if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. Yeah. That, ain't that the truth? If you're not having a blast in life, it's your own damn fault. Yeah. And I do want to mention before you close this up, we are offering Zoom online classes now. Go, yeah. So uh, we're still working the technology. If we go outside, inside, it's pretty, we've pretty much got it figured out. So you um, experience like yoga and, you know, and that same thing with 12-step beings and all this stuff. You know, yeah. That is a bright side of what's going on. You can actually experience this stuff. Uh, you don't have to go into a studio. Your house and you would be able to experience it in places that would really be troublesome to get to because not necessarily, you know, somebody might be listening to this from uh, South Dakota. Who knows? And they're not going to drive to Lexington, Kentucky for a yoga class. Be they nice can do it from the living room and they, they can, can do experience it from something that maybe is yeah. a new opportunity to yeah. you. And that's what I mean by being your own damn phone. If you're not having fun, you're not trying hard enough, you're not out finding it because it's available to you. It's you so available, yeah. And bitch about that, it ain't, that's, that, that you, you hurt and you're know, sore. And this all happened, I can't tell you. I mean, people told me that they couldn't leave the house. Yeah. I'm not allowed to leave the house. And I said, that is not true. Yeah, of course. At all. You can go hiking. You can go yeah. drive. You could drive. 
Yeah. You could go for a walk. But the people, yeah, they they pinhole themselves in, and they they won't, you know, they don't allow themselves. It's like being a martyr. Take yourself and nail yourself up on the cross. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. Well, it's like the people that right now that don't want to wear their mask going into the store, and the stores are like, you can't wear your mask right now, but you can order online, and we'll deliver it out to you. Like. We we're, we're as businesses are trying to make it very easy for people to do business, but as consumers, we also have to make it very easy for businesses to do business because it's it's a different it's a different. We're it all just trying to survive, and especially with like the yoga studios and the wellness and and you know. I continue I mean, to pay my you know I don't want to sell paint pat on the back at any level, but I continue to pay my unlimited membership at my yoga studio. Yeah, I have a couple people that uh, have continued to pay, and, and they you know, may come I once or twice. I hope it's you there want them to the be scenes. there when it's open. Yeah. Exactly, and they are they're coming back. It's yeah. limited now, and it, yeah, you know, frankly, it's so limited that I can't go right now. I mean, I. It's it very limited. doesn't fit my lifestyle. Yeah, like, well, get in there and early. it was crazy. You know, I had a huge probably. explosion of, of instructors that, not a huge explosion, but for me, I went from uh, three of us, and once COVID hit and we had to shut down, well, I went to seven because all of a sudden everyone's home. Yeah. And I had two friends in Louisville. We jumped onto Zoom, yeah. uh, you know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, like I've wanted you guys to teach with me forever. And you've got these unique gifts that you can offer because again i'm not going to teach what i don't know and so we ramped up all of these you know instructors yeah exactly and then now everybody's going back to work so they're all like yeah i can't teach my class right now because now it's like you know if you're teaching a yoga class and three people are zooming in and you're making a minimal amount of money or you could go to work that day you're going to go to work that day so it's it's i'm shifting back and and trying to figure out now and and I have two instructors um one instructor that's currently moving and one instructor that just doesn't want to come out because of COVID and so the other thing I'm yeah. saying is so the having a blast is available to you and the Always. other thing is is you got to participate in that and I say thank everybody I like to thank everybody for uh, allowing uh allowing us to participate in our life yeah in our recovery in our yoga and, uh, Thank you and, for choosing to exist. To, uh, participate in this thing. Uh, we're having a blast. Yeah. Thank you all. Namaste. Peace out.